Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Utah Jazz back in action tonight. We're going to have a lot of basketball tonight. BYU scheduled to play Portland tonight. The Jazz are playing the Hawks in Atlanta. Utah is playing Arizona. Uh, Scotty G has had to make the trip to Fresno for Utah State and Fresno State. we got a lot of basketball. Uh, let's start with Tim Lacombe. Jazz pre, half, and post game. Join us real quick for a few minutes near the end of yesterday's show. Here's Tim on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Tim, good morning. Good morning, guys. Tim, we want to hit you with the question of the day. What's your confidence level that the Jazz have restored order? You're doing pre, half, and post. So other people can turn off a game in Denver when they get disgusted or a game versus Detroit because they think it's completely in hand. But your butt's sitting in that studio chair watching every minute of every game. So what's your confidence level the Jazz have restored order? Uh, Can you just drill down on restore order? What does that mean? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Was uh, your confidence uh, shaken to any level with the loss? Maybe you don't think there was any order to restore, that it was just the natural order of things you're bound to lose and someone was going to have a hot shooting night and you were, you were going to lose your edge one night and you were going to lose a game. So maybe you, don't yeah, think, maybe you don't think order needed to be restored. No, I didn't think. I was kind of more in that camp. Um, you know, while it was obviously you hate losing the Denver arrival and everything else, it's uh, – it was one that really kind of looked on the schedule like it may be a tough one, just given all the circumstances. You know, for Donovan and Favors getting broken back into the lineup after two games out, you know, that always does a little bit of something to rhythm, regardless of or irregardless of, you know, ah. your intentions. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, that afternoon game after a, a home game, you know, to jump on the road and go out and play that thing. Uh, for an early start, you don't have a ton of those during the season, so that was another one that kind of I thought may be a little snafu for them. Um, but really what it took was a totally dominating shooting night from Denver, and I think it really did have more to do with Denver than the Jazz. I know you were associated with that great Utah program at a time that it was on top. And Majerus used to talk about this and and working for the newspaper and being there. I saw it. I saw the excitement that every arena would have when the Utes played. Can you speak to the idea? Because we had Joe Enos talking about it a little bit. Now, Jazz is the best record in the league. And they're fighting for the best record and probably going to fight for the best record all season. So they're not a surprise. And and teams and guys know who's good, who isn't. So the point being that they're going to get everybody's best shot. Now, what do the Jazz need to do to match it? Because clearly Denver was fired up for that game and it got away from the Jazz a little bit right from the start. Yeah, I think, I mean, that is a a difference. But I think for the most part, you know, the Jazz have been viewed as a winning program, winning organization for a long time. And um, it's one that, you know, as opposed to somebody you can kind of sneak up on, the Jazz really can't sneak up on anybody, haven't been able to for a while. Um, You know, for whatever reason, it's a team that people, um, you know, really see, well, I guess just on the history, see, see success for a long time. So. Um, you know, I think it's something that, you know, if the Jazz are chasing the best record in the league, it's a great dialogue to have. And and hopefully, you know, teams are up to play them because that means uh, things are going well for them. 
So there seems to be a thing that uh, happens on this team where uh, guys are so unselfish they pass up open shots. And I've, I've slowly over the last, I don't know, couple of weeks really come to use that as the barometer of how well they're playing. I, I think when they're playing better, like they really get the first open shot and let it fly. And if that's on a two-on-two break, so be it. And if that's four seconds into a shot clock, well, that's the way it goes. If no one else gets to touch the ball in that possession, I don't care. But the when they, when they pass up an open shot and they get deeper into the clock, it seems like things kind of gum up and jam up. And sometimes it works out. Most of the time, it ends up being a problem. Are you seeing that, or am I up in the night? No, I totally agree. In fact, last night, the you know when Detroit pulled that thing back and got close, you know the way the Jazz broke that game was off two plays: one in transition to Bojan, um, obviously had a, a tip dunk, you know, during that run, and then uh, Bojan again from the corner in a half court set to seal it. And I think the combination of all those was, you know, right shot, right time. My first one was in transition. The second was after a set. Uh, they ran a great set, by the way, set a, a ball screen, uh, put Bojan in the opposite corner, and Rudy came in and pinned in the help which was for the skip pass, which was just – it was a great design and perfect execution, and Bojan made the shot. Um, I think what's great with this team is – that there's all sorts of different ways to score, but I agree with you when you see a guy pass up an open shot, which doesn't happen as much as maybe we thought last year, um, they probably aren't going to get as good a look as the shot clock runs down. Joe's also talking about Quinn, and I think the essence of coaching is putting your guys in position to succeed. Then it's up to them to go succeed. We saw that. Well, Majerus was good about it. We saw that with Dave Rose giving Jimmer all that success. You know, I think Dave was the perfect coach for him at the time to allow Jimmer to do what he does. Speak to Quinn Snyder's ability to maximize the talents of the players he has. I've got a ton of respect for it. Um, you know, having, like DJ said, you know, my, my can's in the seat the entire game uh, an hour before, an hour after. So you see a lot and you hear a lot and, um, I think the things that are the most impressive to me, another one was brought up in the post game last night. Um, somebody asked Quinn about offensive rebounding. And, um, you know, it really fits with what this team wants to do. They want to find better, more efficient, and easier ways to score. Um, and they're rebounding the ball offensively really well this year. And I think a big reason is, you know, they're using the scatter report, see how people block out. Um, see who leaks out and see those as opportunities to maybe go steal an extra possession. Um, they're using, utilizing, the, I guess, the Euro foul in transition to slow down breaks um, when they can. And so I think that's just another level that coupled with his, like you talked about, DJ's, you know, he's allowing the guys to play with more freedom and, and score quicker in the shot clock. I think he just sees that he's got a really versatile lineup with a ton of shooting, really like a, an embarrassment of riches in, shoot, in the shooting department um, compared to the rest of the league. I mean, Detroit last night, if we had a three-point shooting contest, you know, that thing would have been over in the first five minutes. Um, so he just, he does, he utilizes his strength, he plays to it. Um, and I, I really, it's it's hard as a coach to get something set in a certain way to play and then tweak that and change it um 
even though things are working pretty well, to try to find something better, and I feel like that's what Quinn's done. Since you stopped coaching at BYU, you've let the hair get longer, you let the facial hair go. I didn't recognize you famously at a golf tournament until, you know, it was a double take before I realized, hey, wait, that's Tim Lacombe. And I'm wondering, our next guest, and we got to go because John Clayton's going to join us next, but is that awesome. the greatest promo you've ever seen with the, the ponytail and the, and the pop? Oh, I mean, dude. Right? Is that yeah. you? Is that going to be you in like five years? Probably. I, I mean, this isn't going to end, but I agree. That was so. That was, that was one I actually belly laughed when I saw. I don't belly laugh a lot of commercials, but that one got me good. And John Clayton's a legend, by the way. Tim, we appreciate the time. We'll talk to you again next week. All right. Thank you, guys. There's Tim Lacombe. You'll hear him tonight as the Jazz play the Hawks. He's on the pre-half and post-game shows with Jake Scott. 5.30 tip tonight, pre-game at 4.30. When we come back, we're talking Super Bowl and big deals in the NFL with John Clayton. Is Taysom Hill the guy in New Orleans, assuming Breeze hangs it up? How quickly can the Patriots rebuild? What is Aaron Rodgers' future in Green Bay? Plus, everything you want to know about the Chiefs and the Bucks and Tom Brady. That's next. Patrick Mahomes, too. Who are we kidding? Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. We're joined now by John Clayton. Washington Post contributing NFL columnist and host on 710 ESPN in Seattle. John, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Good to have you on. We want to talk some uh, Super Bowl and NFL news with you. And, and let's start with the Super Bowl. This, uh, you know, the quarterbacks are so often the storyline. You got this meeting of uh, generations here. And is it a passing of the baton or a last stand by the GOAT? You know NFL history. Is there anything even close to this you can you can go back and point to? I really can't because, I mean, you've got the old goat and then what might be the new goat in Patrick Mahomes, both Brady being the old goat. And really, when you think about you go through the years and the great quarterbacks, a lot of times they were all aligned in the same conferences. Like, for example, I mean, this would be, you know, like a Peyton Manning, Tom Brady Super Bowl, which, of course, obviously couldn't happen because they were both – in the AFC, you go through with like John Elway and Jim Kelly and some of the great quarterbacks from the 80s. They were pretty much aligned in one conference. But to have kind of a matchup like this is so rare because, again, you know, you're talking greatness. And Tom Brady, obviously, with the uh, 33 playoff wins, uh, that's unmatched. The fact that he's now in his 10th Super Bowl. And now you have a Patrick Mahomes who's in his second Super Bowl, three championship games in the AFC, and the chance to get so much more. So, no, I think this this is, that adds to the intrigue of this incredible game. There's always a lot of sub, subplots within the game, and Tom Brady's going to steal the attention wherever he goes, and obviously this year it's with the Buccaneers. But I'm wondering what you think of the matchup between the Kansas City offense and the Tampa Bay defense because it seems like to a degree that the Tampa Bay defense has sort of been 
undervalued, and I think it's you know largely maybe to an extent of the star power of Tom Brady. Yeah, it's undervalued because it's so good in the front seven. I mean, the front seven, even with the return of Vita Vea, is uh, just fantastic. And then, of course, they got two great edge rushers in uh, uh, Shaq Barrett and also uh, having you know, J- Jason Pierre-Paul. But the one weakness that they have is in the secondary. Their coverage right now isn't that good. And you go back to the meeting in Week 12 where uh, Patrick Mahomes threw for over 460 yards. That's uh, And then you, <laughs> their best cornerback is Carlton Davis. And Carlton Davis was beaten for over 180 yards, particularly by Tyreek Hill. So that's going to be the one concern. They'll get pressure on the quarterback. They'll stuff the run, but can they cover? John Clayton joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So Eric Fisher tears his Achilles, uh, Chiefs left tackle. They'd already lost their right tackle. They've, they've had injuries up and down the line throughout the year, which to a certain degree you just got to kind of put up with in the NFL. It's just the way things go. But at the same time, this does seem like it's a lot to handle right here at the end of the season. And you mentioned the edge rushers for the Bucks. Is the, is the Tampa Bay defense going to do – for Brady, what the Giants front four did to him in those two Super Bowls, can they can they swing this game? They could because what you're looking at is that go go back to the NFC Championship game was David Bakhtiari, the left tackle of the Packers. He was out with a knee injury, could not play, and so now you're looking at Eric Fisher with the torn Achilles, and then uh, the right tackle Mitchell Schwartz is on injured reserve. So now they're down two tackles, and you saw in that championship game that Aaron Rodgers was sacked five times. He had eight quarterback hits on him. And so there's a decent chance that in this game, Patrick Mahomes is going to have to probably survive maybe three or four sacks because you've got Mike Remmers uh, at left tackle now. He was the right tackle fill-in for Schwartz. And they had to take a a guard, uh, Andrew Wiley, and move him to right tackle. And then you look at the fact that that whole offensive line that's going to be on the field, four of the five guys have been at least cut once in their career. But, again, Patrick Mahomes is so good, he can overcome a lot of that, but you know he's going to go down to the ground a few times. Well, we think of Rob Gronkowski, we think of his you know, possibly best all-time tight end, but you look at this postseason, he's been really quiet. How much do you expect that to change, if any, in the Super Bowl? I think, that, and again, it's not that he's been quiet. Uh, it's just that you know when you have two great receivers like they have, you know, with Mike Evans and uh, Chris Godwin, you know, that doesn't get the ball much to the tight ends because, and then you got probably Antonio Brown, if he is going to be healthy enough being able to play and to go a little bit more three wide receivers. We saw at different stretches uh, during the season where it's like, you know, when they, when they throw the ball to the two wide receivers, it takes away from the tight end. Now that didn't happen in the week 12 game because, you know, Gronk and Cam Brayton had pretty good games. I think they totaled up like about maybe 10 or 11 total passes to them. But I think the likelihood is you're not going to see a lot of the tight ends involved in the passing game. Uh, and but mainly, again, that's because when you're throwing the ball to two good wide receivers who are healthy, you know, they take away from the chances to get the ball spread around as much. So Tom Brady uh, is incredible, obviously. Uh, and, you know, the, the touchdown-interception ratio is great, but when he did throw picks this year, he threw them in bunches. 
Uh, he had three against the Saints in one game, two in another. He had three against the Packers in the NFC title game. And he had two when he played the Chiefs earlier this year. Do you think he's going to be turnover-free, or do you think there are turnovers to be had, and that's going to be a big deal for the Chiefs when they get those takeaways? No, I think he's going to have some turnovers because uh, you can see it. You know, The no-biscuit, no-risk at offense of Brian, uh, Bruce Arians is one where he wants Brady to throw the ball deep. And when that happens, I mean, you're going to have a tendency to have interceptions. I mean, remember when Brady had the one stretch in the middle of the year where he threw about 27 passes at an air yards of 21 yards or more? <clears throat> he had no touchdown, no completions, and three interceptions. Well, right now, Brady and Mahomes are the two most active quarterbacks in throwing 21 air yards downfield, you know, like 79 and 76, two of the top three. <clears throat> and so – Again, when you have the no biscuit, no biscuit, you have the tendency to have a possibility of some interceptions. Now, Brady's been good the second half of the season in getting completions, but still, I think he's still going to have some difficulty. And again, you look at the, what Steve Spagnuolo's done with the cornerbacks and man coverage, the defensive coordinator. I mean, they've done a really good job of covering. So I think he'll have a couple interceptions. Taking a big picture view of what Kansas City's been able to do, we know what they've done. It's remarkable. But looking ahead, you know, you're talking about Holmes. Obviously, he has time on his side. But you look at Roethlisberger. I think he had two Super Bowl titles by the time he was 26. Russell Wilson is in the Super Bowl early and should have won two, obviously. Uh, you know, haven't been able to get the job done since. How can we be – I don't know that sure is the right word, but how can we forecast – that the Chiefs can keep this going if we tw- if we want to make that argument. Yeah, I mean it, it is going to be difficult, because now you know Patrick Mahomes got the big salary, uh, highest paid quarterback, highest paid player in the league, and that takes away a lot of times with the cap from being able to add much in free agency and causes you sometimes to lose some players. But I think what you're looking at is that the the, the Chiefs are run very well, and when you have the best quarterback, and you know, you, you can arguably say that Mahomes might be the best quarterback. So he won't win the MVP. Aaron Rodgers is going to win it, but he's slightly better, I think, right now than uh, Rodgers. Is that uh, he gives you the opportunity every year to be able to be in the Super Bowl mix? I mean, you look at Tom Brady. That's what happened in New England. So that's like, but again, it's a difficult thing. But fortunately, Brett Veach, the general manager, does a very good job with the cap and personnel. Andy Reid's as good as there is as you're going to find as a coach. So they still have the ability to do it. But you're right. It's going to be a challenge to try to keep this run going. So if they're going to keep it going, uh, Tyreek Hill's probably got to play a big role. 13 catches, 269 yards, three touchdowns in the 27-24 win in the regular season matchup. What are the Bucks going to do to, if not stop him, at least slow him down? Because those are outrageous numbers, and they can't let that happen again. Yeah, and if they try to just go cover one with the man coverage with Carlton Davis, it's going to be a big problem because Carlton's a 4-5-2 guy, and Tyreek Hill's just so fast and even so much better now with his route running that uh, it's going to be a one-on-one matchup. So I'd have to think they've got to find some way to double him to slow him down. Because he's still going to get his catches. I mean, Patrick Mahomes still is going to be able to do it. But if he, I mean, you saw how bad it was in that Week 12 game with the uh, pass completions to Tyreek over Carlton Davis. He's got to do something. I don't know if he has to go cover two, but he's got to do something to double him up. So we saw this week Tom Brady, you know, 45, now beyond 45. I don't want to doubt him. How about you? 
Uh, you have to think it's going to catch up to him sometimes. I mean, you wondered, particularly at the end of the last two seasons, you know, his downfield throws, which he didn't do too much with New England, you know, were, were struggling. Now you've seen him come back. I think he's probably got two more years left. But to think you can continue to 45, 46 years old, I think that's going to be very difficult. There are a couple stories around the league, John, that are catching everybody's attention. How surprised were you that the Rams and Lions pulled off that trade for not elite quarterbacks, but certainly high-level, big-name quarterbacks who'd, who'd been invested in? How surprised were you by that, and, and how much is it going to change those two teams' fortunes? Or did they just exchange problems and ceilings? Well, De- Detroit's not going to be very good, so it's like that doesn't change the fortune of them. <laughs> it gives them the chance to, over a couple of years, build with the – two first-round picks and a third-round pick. You know, the Rams, I mean, as the weeks were going on after the season and after eliminating from the playoffs, you got the idea that Sean McVay was totally fed up with Jared Goff and wanted to move on. And so now uh, he gets a better quarterback in Matthew Stafford. But the problem's going to be they've got $42.2 million tied up in dead money for Goff and $20 million included in the salary for Stafford. And that's going to really hurt their chances of, keeping some of their players in free agency because now they're $35 million over $180 million cap. If that's what it's going to be, that's third worst in the league. And so they're going to have to you know, cut some guys on the offensive line. They're going to have to maybe lose uh, Leonard Floyd, maybe lose John Johnson, their safety. So that's, it's going to hurt the overall roster, but it certainly helps the offense and help, gives them a much better quarterback. So the Saints are an interesting team in our market because of Taysom Hill and obviously the connection with BYU and looking like Drew Brees is going to step aside. So we're all wondering as far as is Taysom Hill capable of being a starting quarterback in the NFL. What are you hearing? I really question it. I mean, you can see that they want to bring back uh, Jameis Winston. I think there's going to be competition from Chicago and a few other teams as far as Jameis, but I think that he'll want to go back. Uh, you know, Taysom is a, a good you know, a guy. You can see he was able to win the games against bad teams, but is he good enough to win against the good teams? And then, of course, the other problem is going to be that the Saints are $100 million over the cap, and so uh, what kind of team are they going to be able to field this year? So I think that there's no question he's going to be on the team. Maybe he's going to be doing a little bit more uh, than he did when Breeze is healthy, but I still think right now the guy that they want to bring back to start is going to be Jameis Winston. The league is more interesting when Bill Belichick has a really good team. Even if you don't like him, it's fun to hate him. How quickly can Belichick build a playoff team in New England? Uh, until he gets a quarterback, it's going to take some time. I mean, you, you saw that they brought in Cam Newton. That only netted him six wins, and uh, Cam just wasn't good enough, at least uh, with all the problems he's had with injuries in the past, to be able to uh, do well and get this team back on top. But they have to totally rebuild the receiving core tight end, and they didn't do that last year. I mean, they'll be better because they had eight opt-outs that'll be at least available for them, and that should keep the defense together, but they've got to do a lot of work on that offense. So we all recognize Aaron Rodgers as the NFL MVP, as you said earlier, and there's been commotion coming out of Green Bay about his future. Jordan Love, Utah State kid, waiting in the wings. My thought is there's no way that Green Bay can let Aaron Rodgers get away. How about that situation? Yeah, I think – because uh, I like what uh, was said by T.J. Lang 
that uh, you know Rogers is in in the revenge mode for the organization, and by revenge, he's still bitter over two things: one, they traded up to get Jordan Love, and two, they didn't get him any extra receivers, tight ends, or any help on the offense. And what he's is all in on the idea is like, hey, I want to be ending my career in the Packers and play maybe four or five more years. And now you bring in a quarterback and you figure, okay, I'm going to be out of here in another year or two. And that's not good. So I think what he's going to do is going to ask for a contract extension. And if that's going to be the case, they may have to consider trading Jordan Love. But you can see there's a bitterness there. But again, to the point where they trade him, they can't trade him. It's too much of a cap hit and he's too valuable. Well, John, we appreciate a few minutes and, uh, and a little Super Bowl talk. Thanks for uh, coming on and talking to NFL with us. Okay, thank you. There's John Clayton. We appreciate his time. Washington Post, 710 ESPN in Seattle, talking all things NFL and all things Super Bowl. When we come back, the Joe Ingles Show. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280, The Zone. Joe Ingles joins us every week, usually on Thursdays, but... With games on Thursday and Friday, he made the rare Wednesday appearance. Here's our conversation with Joe. He'll drop in a few last nights referencing the win over Detroit, but you get the point. Here's Joe. Hey, yeah. This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush. And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show (laughs) with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ, PK. And it is time to welcome in Joe Ingles. Joe, good morning. Good morning. It should be welcome Joe and his friends and his little friends, DJ and PK. <laughs> Your assistants. <laughs> uh, the Joe Ingles Show with DJ and PK is brought to you by Cypress Credit Union. Well, Joe, we always talk about it's nice if you can win before you come on because it's so much more fun and you're in a better mood. Was there any point in that Detroit game where you thought it was going to get away and 28 points uh, went uh, down to four uh, and they had the ball? Uh, no. That <laughs> a kid. I didn't. Um, no, I mean, it's. I've said it a million times, and, and it probably it, it probably is is more this year than, than any other previous years. I, I mean, we're playing we're playing against NBA teams. There's, there's really good players on every team, um, and even more this year. I mean, we've obviously got probably more of a target on our back with our record and the way we've been playing and the streak we had and all that. Obviously, teams know the level that, that we're playing at and, and, and teams and players and individuals and coaches are ready for us. So, um, I mean, as you guys know, no 
lead in the NBA is really that safe um, until kind of the end of the game. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's well, we, we're going to get every team's best shot and um, it, it's a good thing for our group. We, we, we'll, we kind of learn. I don't think we weren't focused or anything last night in, in patches. I think we, I mean, they got more physical at one point and, and made some shots. We missed some shots in a row and, and they went on a little run. And I mean, a lot of it's um, a game of runs and we were able to obviously kind of with, withheld that. And we, we were lucky that we played well early on as well to get that lead. But um, yeah, another, another good win against a, a good kind of competitive team. I think that's a real important point. You know, you have the best record in the league today. You didn't have it yesterday, but you had it a couple of days before that. But the point being, you are one of the better teams in the league, and guys in the league know who those teams are. So what does this team need to do to make sure that it's matching the intensity because you are going to get everybody's best shot now? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's easy from a kind of competitive standpoint because regardless of who we're playing or our record or whatever it is, we obviously want to win as many games as possible. So um, as a, as a player and a competitor and um, it's really not that hard. I, I think it's, there's different times and games and situations where you, you, you're more tired or, or whatever with, with the schedule and you've, you've got to kind of find a, find another level to, to help kind of pick you up a little bit. But uh, I, I mean, I've said it, this year a few times where we've got this kind of extra motivation to just keep getting better and better and we we want to just we want to win as many games as possible and that's we're going to win ugly we're, we're going to win pretty sometimes we're, we're going to have games that are close we're going to have 30 point leads at times it's going to be all different situations and I think we've kind of had a lot of them already in the first 20 odd games and, and we've been able to handle the majority of them apart from a couple kind of early on so um, yeah just staying kind of that, that competitive keep getting better uh, mindset and like I said we'll, we'll, we'll just keep finding different ways to win different guys are going to step up different guys are going to play well at different times and um, we, we've just got to be ready like you said we've got to be ready for everyone's best shot they're going to be they're going to be ready for us, whether it's they get to play against Rudy or they get to play against Donovan or because of our record or, or whatever it is. Um, yeah, we've got, we've got to be switched on every night. You know, I thought, and, and I know you can be a little self-deprecating, you know, you were fortunate and you played well early, but I, I didn't think it was an accident. I thought it, it probably, there's a little urgency after the Denver game, but I thought you guys were really sharp and crisp early on. Guys were cutting hard with a purpose, and nobody was passing up open shots. Guys, if they were open, they were taking it and, and largely making it. How much did you feel a little sense of urgency because of just a single loss in the last 12 games? For sure. No, it was. I don't think you ever want to like overthink it or, or like one loss doesn't make us a, a bad team or one win doesn't make us a, the, the best team ever. Like it's finding that balance of, of what, what we need to do each day to, to keep getting better and better. And um, I mean, you look at that Denver game and obviously we didn't play great more on the defensive end. I think we still had 120 points or something like that. We still, we still scored the ball. Um, even though we didn't shoot as well as we thought or, or whatever it was. But it was a few things defensively that we, we obviously could have done better, giving up 130, whatever it was, 130 or whatever it was. So 
um, you, you don't overthink it. We, we, I don't think no one was kind of down in the dumps or, or anything. But, yeah, it just makes you... I mean, it makes you want to play right away. We, we probably could have played a game right after that Denver game and probably beat anybody. Like, you, you just feel that urge to, to want to get out there and fix the mistakes you had. And, like, you, you think of, obviously, yourself, or what you could have done more. And uh, I think the guys were, were, were just excited. Obviously, the, it was only one game. But just to, to get back home again, play in front of our, our fans um, or, or the, the fans that we can have in there and... Um, Knew it was a, an important game before we, we obviously head out, head out today again on another little trip. So you talk about playing right away. You look at February, there's 28 days. You got 14 games. There's nothing you can do about it because you're going to have to play those games either way. But what do you think about that as far as this many games in such a short duration? I know you have to embrace it, but you feel like you're physically prepared for it? Yeah, and I think what helps our team and um, there, there's probably not a lot of teams but we, we are so deep as well we've seen obviously different nights that different guys have been out for, for whatever reasons and, and Mia's come in uh, Juan's come in we, we've had different guys um, have to come in and kind of play play different roles I've gone and started and played more minutes or whatever the situation is so um no, I think, I mean, I don't want to look into the future too far, but I'm sure at some point in those games, guys' minutes or fouls or, or, or fatigue, like whatever it is, depending on the situation, is, is, we've got the luxury to be able to throw 12 guys, however many guys coach needs to throw out there to give, give more rest or, or depending on the situation. So we're, we're pretty lucky with that. Um, and like you said, I mean, Obviously, we don't get a choice. You, you get the schedule you're given, and you, you figure it out around that. And we're uh, on the other side of that too. We're also really lucky that we've got. Obviously, I'm biased, very biased, but we've got the best medical and health team. We've got one of the best facilities with recovery and all that. So, so our guys are super professional with with staying on top of the, the things we need to do to be obviously as close to 100 percent and healthy and non-fatigued as, as possible. Joe Ingles join us on the Joe Ingles Show. His little assistant's happy to be able to pop in just for a minute <laughs> while Joe's greatness is on display. And Joe, here's something, especially this year, I really don't know how this operates because the NBA's changing so much with all the COVID rules. So you go on the yeah. road here and you're going to play Atlanta. Now, you'd seen Detroit before, so at least you had a previous game of experience against them. But you haven't seen Atlanta. Normally, you'd have a practice, you'd get on the plane, but you're playing so many games, Quinn may not want to practice. And then, normally, you'd have a shoot-around, but I know with the testing and early in the morning, that gets hard to do. So what is the prep? How do you know, hey, these are their guys, these are a couple of their favorite sets and what they like to do, these guys have these tendencies. Where do you get all that info? Because I can't imagine Quinn's letting you fly blind, but I can't imagine you're prepping like you normally do either uh first thing is you're incorrect we have played atlanta already um but we haven't played charlotte and and whatever but that was what i meant um, bigger picture joe sorry i screwed up your show (laughs) um another thing that you said which is is correct is quinn will not let us go in under prepared um yeah i mean it's a it's a fine balance of kind of figuring it out and Quinn's told us kind of from the start of the year and different times throughout the year that, that, that he'll pick and choose when we when we 
or when he thinks it's necessary to have a shoot around or, or not, obviously. Um, like you said, I mean, today we fly at a 11 or something like that. We got a test. Like I, I went in and tested at 7.30 this morning to then be able to take Miller to school and then get home for a little bit before obviously taking off again. So it's, it, it's different routines. Um, like you said, same on the road. Like We have to test and get our results back before we can leave our rooms. So we have to walk down to like a, a ballroom or whatever, do our test, go back to our room until we get our results back and then we can go to shoot around. So like you said, it's like if we have a 10 o'clock shoot around, it takes a couple of hours to do our test. They've got to go to an offsite, um, usually to the other team's facility or whatever, to run the test, which depending on where you are in the city, it could take hours, like if you're in a bigger city. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. I, I think, again, we've, we, we do have a veteran and, and professional team that um, knows teams, knows players. We get a lot of stuff through, um, like, Zoom or email or whatever. Like, our, they'll text the slides of players or, or teams. Um, a part of it is also, obviously, us just knowing the teams and players as well. I think we, you've been, a lot of our guys, main guys, um, I mean, even the, the younger guys have been in a couple of years now. So, so you do know guys' tendencies a little bit more. And um, the one thing I guess we can do all the time is we can we can watch film kind of anywhere, really. Um, we can watch it via Zoom if we have to. Um, I think LA or something was a rule. I don't know if the rule's still there. But when we first went to LA, you could only have 10 guys in a room at, or like the capacity of 10 people in a room. So that's kind of half our team. So we, we did it different ways and I guess one of the things we've embraced this year is just being very fluid with the, the scheduling and, and what can happen and not so um, yeah I mean like you said and I can reiterate Quinn is definitely not going to let us go in underprepared so we we figure it out each trip and each game what the best way to prepare is and um, well, we've been really good at just kind of locking in on those like smaller details of what that stuff um really means in a, in a year like this. Like I said, you can't go to shoot around and walk through play, so making sure we lock in on a film session so that we are as prepared as we can going into a, a game. So I'm not going to ask you to brag on yourself because after seven years, I know that's a waste of time. You are now the <laughs> franchise record holder and three-pointers made. Rather than just talk about that, what I do want to ask you is what does it mean to you as you, you're not done yet, obviously, but at this point, to make a vital contribution to the franchise. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. I I haven't honestly thought about it too much. And uh, me and Renee and I have spoken about it a little bit at home and stuff, but it was just kind of like that. Like, se- I mean, seven years ago, there was there was zero well one team obviously but at the time zero teams that wanted me and the the millers dennis and and quinn um obviously gave me a chance and and brought me in here and obviously i'll be forever grateful for for the millers and and the front office and quinn obviously um to to give me that chance because i was uh i don't know 24 hours away from getting on a flight and going back to to Australia and playing in the NBL probably. Um, so obviously very, very lucky. And, uh, and I obviously realised that, that, that the opportunity they gave me and then to 
to have a coach, um, I've talked about obviously Quinn a lot um, throughout my years on here and, and not how good he is as a coach and all that, but just how good a person he is too. To, he genuinely cares, obviously not just about me, about every player that's been here in some capacity for however long they've been here. He's taken the time to get to know him and, and puts in that effort and it, and it makes you want to do everything you can to play for the guy and he cares about us, like he asks about Renee and the kids more than he asks about how I'm feeling. So to have a coach that, that's like that and then with all that, it, it obviously makes you want to repay him and the franchise. And, and for me, it was, uh, I've said it before, I was on that non-guaranteed and I was was not going to let that kind of slip up and, and let that go. And I was obviously lucky to make the team and then sign a two-year deal and... um I guess again, kind of lucky through a little bit of luck with with injuries and stuff. Um, I got thrown in the starting five for a finals or, or my first playoff series, and we beat the Clippers. We go on this little run, um, and it's just kind of the evolution. Kind of every year has been something a little bit different, but um, honestly, I've every day, every game, practice, whatever it is, I, I've really just tried to obviously give everything I possibly can to, to try and repay the Millers, the, the franchise, for, for the opportunity they gave me. So, um, I mean, seven years ago, I never would have thought... I mean, I never thought I would have been here still, to be honest with you. Um, but to, to, to then break a record and then obviously for it to be a record held by a guy that was here for so long and is is the Utah Jazz when you, you think of the franchise. So, um, yeah, pretty special. I, I like I said, I haven't overthought about it. this. Is probably the most I've talked about it since it happened. Um, probably in the the future years coming up, I'll, I'll think about it more. But I mean, at the end of the day, let's be honest. Donovan's going to steal it off me, and I already said as soon as <laughs> as soon as Donovan makes like a bunch of threes in a game, I'm going to blast him in the media and say that he's selfishly <laughs> just doing it to take my record. So um, no, it's a, I mean it is an honor. Like I, I'm slightly proud um and like you said i don't i don't really like talking about myself too much but it is it is something that's pretty cool that i i honestly never thought would happen so yeah a massive obviously a massive thanks to to the millers again and and dennis and quinn and and the fans who were yelling at me to shoot when i was 20 feet open in my first year and i was scared (laughs) to shoot um but yeah we got there so let's ask you more to let's ask you to brag about yourself on some more since you, since you're already in a role and you're in the groove. But I think this is important. I think this is important. And PK will say this till he's blue in the face. But you have more stature than PK and I combined by a mile and a half. So maybe it'll mean more coming from you. But PK worked with people who've made it very big in the media, and he remembers when they were answering phones, taking in high school scores, like the lowest level entry job, and now they work for ESPN and they're big shots, right? And and the fact that you have to work all the time, you said you were lucky and fortunate, and I don't doubt that you were, but I also think there's a foundation of hard work in there. What do you think you did in Spain or in Israel that caught Quinn's eye when he was coaching overseas or caught the eye of an international scout and mentioned something to Dennis or that Dennis saw on film or I don't know maybe he's over there and saw yourself that made them want to call you after the Clippers cut you because there had to be something like and you're okay you're tall and you got a long arm so you got that but what do you think you <laughs> did hey they look for that if you'd been six one, you might not have gotten the call you know True. but you're not so you got it but there still had to be something you did that caught their eye 
or they wouldn't have called you when you were down in the dumps in L.A. and you were waiting on Ronay to uh, to fly into town. Yeah, I mean, it, um, honestly, I don't. I'd be, be a good question to one day. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to know the answer right now while I'm while I'm still playing for him. But um, I mean, it'd be something that I would. I'd love to to talk to them about when my career is over. Like, what, what exactly was it? Um, uh, I think a part of it, like when you, uh, I've talked about this with you guys before, like every team, I mean, you've got your couple of superstars and, and apart from that, really, it's like finding role players that fit into a specific role for, for that group. And um, uh, I think for me, I think knowing Quinn, uh, I'd say I know, knew Quinn before I came here, but playing against him, he, he he was in Russia while I was in Barcelona and playing against him. So he would have seen me play a fair bit. And, um, I think that, it, like I, I honestly think they, they knew, uh, I think they saw something there. Like I, I, I feel like there was um, maybe some potential or whatever they saw. Obviously I was a bit older, but something that, that they thought they could work with that could, could keep growing and, and getting better and, I felt like I had that in myself. I just never thought I was in the right situation to, to really keep getting better. I was I, I played for massive teams and great teams and won a lot, but I was, I mean, I was barely playing. Like I'm not ashamed to say that. Like I was, I was barely playing. I played a role. Uh, I did what I'm similar to what I, I have done here. Like I played a, a smaller role than what I have here, but I played a role in Europe and. Um, coming here it was like the same kind of thing like I, I had to fit in I had to find a role uh, I think they, they like I said they saw something that they could work with um, but I think Quinn also knew that whatever he was going to ask me to do I was going to try and do and for you yeah, whatever I was that first year or two like 12, 13, 14, 15 whatever position spot on the roster you want to say uh, I think he knew regardless of minutes or whatever I was going to come to practice and do what I had to do uh, if I got an opportunity I was obviously going to do my best and, and at the end of the day I, I wanted to win and, and I think Quinn as we've seen ha- has built a winning culture at this franchise and not that they hadn't had it in the past but those the first few years I got here we were winning 20 games or whatever and, and it's hard to win in the NBA and I think he he, he could have felt that I could help that and, and help be a leader in that even though probably 75% of the locker room had no idea who I was when I first got here. Um, and like I said, again, I, I when I got here, I, I just felt like I had to repay them. And um, that's been kind of my mindset of just being locked in and, and trying to give them everything I can every night. And I mean, you guys know I've played some really crappy games and I've played some great games. Um, but I've, I've tried to leave it all out there every night and, and try and, not entertain the fans, but give the fans a, a good show and let them enjoy the game and, and play to, to the highest level I can. And um, like I said, it's, it's been a good road. It's like this is my retirement speech, but um, <laughs> it's been it's been really fun. And again, I mean, I never would have thought I would still be in this position. I never thought, honestly, like breaking a record. Like uh, I, Quinn, Quinn's been a big part of it. Quinn, Quinn's been a, a huge part of my development of of getting me to this level and, and giving me the confidence to play at this level. Like I was, I mean, Quinn have talked about it. Like I was down in the dumps in Europe. Like I was, I was ready to just go back to the NBL and play in Australia because I was just 
kind of miserable and I, I didn't really want to play that badly. Um, and I mean, Quinn was, Quinn's completely kind of turned that, that feeling around and now I feel like I could play forever. Like I, I feel like if he was my coach, I would just keep on finding a way to, to be effective. Well, we'd love to have you brag on yourself some more, Joe, but you got to go. I know that. So we'll let you go. Thanks for coming yeah, on. And we'll talk to you again. Maybe next... before I get on this plane, you guys are asking me all these it's the most serious questions you've ever asked me seven years later. <laughs> well, don't get used to it. I got a bunch of Valentine's Day questions for you next week. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Might skip next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs> all right. There's Joe Ingalls. He joins us every week. When we come back, What is trending? All the headlines, a lot of basketball on tap tonight, and we will get to that next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports as DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Here's Conley up a Gobert pick. Bounces the top to Donovan. Goes back up on his tippy toes, but stays down. Works to his right. Fires it off the bounce. Three and hits. Donovan's got 20 points in the first half. Herter chests it ahead to Solomon Hill. Sees Favors. Gives to Herter. Blocked by Favors. Oh, what a move by Derek. Rebound Gobert. Jazz running. Here comes Clarkson. Right side. Three. Pow! Oh, that's gorgeous basketball. And the bench explodes for the Jazz. As they go up 22, Atlanta wants a timeout. Oh, dear, oh, mercy, they can't take anymore. David Locke on the call as the Jazz beat the Hawks earlier this year. They're going to play again tonight. 5.30 the tip time. Zone's pregame show will start at 4.30. Hawks list four guys out for this game. Unfortunately, Bogdan Bogdanovich will not play. We can't have Bogdanovich on Bogdanovich crime. Locke would have enjoyed that. He was going to say that. It was going to happen at some point. Now it's not going to happen. All right, start of a three-game road trip, PK. Expectations, victory, victory, and victory. Am I right? Why wouldn't they be? Yeah, of course. Line them up. Jazz only injury on their list right now is Elijah Hughes. They're expected to have everybody available, no excuses, all the depth, all ready to go, back-to-back. And the Hawks are actually going back-to-back tonight. Jazz will do it tomorrow. they got Charlotte's schedule tomorrow. Atlanta lost to the Dallas Mavericks. Luka Doncic, 27 points and 14 assists as the Mavericks beat the Hawks 122-116. to The Hawks go back-to-back against the Jazz tonight. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Embiid goes away from Zeller, shoots it from 14. Ripping good, he got it. It trickles off the front of the rim and in. Embiid with four in a row. The six is by 12 with 3.48 to go. Charlotte takes timeout. Giannis will back it out. Go low to Holiday. Back to Giannis. Throw it down. Oh, you can see that one coming. A windmill right-hander off the pass by Holiday. Luka on the move. Head fake. Got to the rim. Left hand layup. Good. A little head fake. Throws everybody. Got it to Nikhil. Shot clock at eight. There's the alley-oop. Nikhil to Big Z with a two-hand throw down. Up ahead, George. Right wing three settles the feet. Paul George is a flamethrower. His eighth three of the night, a new season high. He's got 36. 
Highlights from around the NBA, including Paul George's 36-point performance as the Clippers beat the Cavs 121-99. Clippers, Jazz, Lakers all bunched together within a half game at the top of the West. That moved the Clippers from a tie with the Lakers to a virtual tie with the Jazz for the top spot. Jazz are up by percentage points. Clippers ride Paul George to that victory. Also heard Giannis Antetokounmpo with a triple-double in there as the Bucks beat the Pacers. PK, there are a lot of games in the West, you know, and a year ago, uh, focused on all of them because, you know, a couple teams right in front of the Jazz, a couple teams right behind. They were in a big bunch of, you know, five or six teams. And now I see those games, but you look at the standings, it doesn't really seem to impact the Jazz. Thunder beat the Rockets and Pelicans beat the Suns, but all those teams are three to four to five games back. So a lot. The Lakers and Clippers, those games seem important. Maybe the Nuggets. And then beyond that, uh, there you are. Yes, Suns lost. Okay. Big deal. To me, the story is the season that Paul George is having. He is really just kicking butt. And he said before the season that he owed, uh, what's that dude who won? Palmer. Yeah, that he owed him a a title because he gave him the big contract. And the way he said it, he said it with, like, uh, such conviction and obviously, he's had a whole sort of a uh, whole lot of playoff failure, but so far, watching the Clippers play as much as I can, he he looks like a different player. He looks so confident and so smooth, and he's got all these just natural skills combined with whatever he's worked to get. And it's going to be something to follow because he's having a phenomenal season. I mean, he's right there in my mind yeah, with uh, MVP. You know, Kawhi Leonard gets all the run. But I think George is having a little bit of a better season. And I believe he belongs in that discussion. Now, what does that mean in the regular season? That's nice and all, but it's about the postseason. So what can he do when he gets there? Uh, but right now, boy, he's sure looking good. And they're looking tough. And I think largely... Not exclusively by any stretch, but largely because of him. And he's just playing. It's just at such a high, high level. So I think it comes down to the fact that he's 30. So do you believe that this is a guy who had some playoff failures to set him up for playoff successes, which is a very familiar story in NBA history? Or a guy who's dominant in the regular season but just isn't quite good enough in the playoffs and we're going to see that story again? And you believe what you believe, and everyone can believe whatever they want, but deep down, none of us really know. And that's why sports is our live drama, and we stick around to find out. Exactly. Do you make anything of the Pelicans blowing out the Suns? It seems like New Orleans ought to be better than they have been. They've been one of the worst teams in the West, but that was a... uh, they had a lead, and they were just kind of nursing it along, and they seemed to be up by 5 to 10 points for a big chunk of the game. And then you get late in the game, and they just blew the thing wide open, just took over and dominated, and ended up winning 123-101. Uh, no, I make nothing. Nothing. I pay, pay one bit of attention to it. USA Basketball is in the planning stages of creating a pre-Olympic bubble in Las Vegas for Team USA, Australia, and Spain to train and play exhibition games against one another before leaving for Tokyo. NBA players expected to make up the core of all three of those teams, USA, Australia, and Spain. So they're planning like the games that go on, and NBA players will be ready to go. The league's playoffs are scheduled to take place May 22nd to July 22nd. So it's create an environment where they can limit travel and exposure to COVID and move seamlessly from the NBA playoffs right into the uh, the international scene. Well, then it but not at May 22nd, the playoffs. So I don't even know if they would have started by then. That's when they're supposed to start, May 22nd. And then the finals are scheduled in July 22nd. 
Basically, right, they're moving the playoffs back a month. Okay, but who's going to be on this team in May? Is it, when, when is this team getting together for this bubble? Well, I suppose the guys will join as their individual teams are eliminated. So, oh, okay. I, I assume, and, and by having three teams there, you know, obviously Team USA, they might only have, I don't know, pick a number. If they've got 16 or 20 finalists, because you usually have more finalists than the, the, the guys you take in case somebody gets hurt. You can plug somebody in right away. So maybe they only have a third of their guys or a quarter of their guys are in the lottery, but they could still work out because Spain will have eight guys there and Australia will have six. So combined, they'd, they'd be able to do something, I guess, play, you know, stay in shape. Yeah, but my point is most of those guys in the early part of this thing are going to be on the team. Yeah, right. Yeah, the elite players are going to be on the elite team. So it'll be a gradual thing, I think. As you, uh, well, as your team guys gets will get beat. cut. Yeah. Okay, but you haven't. You have team players joining, but you didn't say guys would be leaving. I assume that's going to how it work out. They didn't spell out all those details, at least not where I saw them. Um, but I, the only thing that seems to make sense is what you're saying. You know, guys will have to get cut. Uh, you're going to keep. You're going to keep more guys than you're going to take because you are worried about injury right down till the end. So they've always got to be cuts at the end. So they'll have to have bigger pools because, to your point, a lot of the players aren't going to be there early in the playoffs because they're going to be in the postseason. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. Well, we got games tonight. You can watch the Utes in Arizona at 5 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. BYU's playing Portland at 5 o'clock on KJS and the Stadium Network. And then at 7 o'clock, Utah State and Fresno State, KJS and the Stadium Network. And the zone will have coverage of that game. Scotty G on the call. That'll be a pregame show at 6.30 on 1280 The Zone. The Jazz game will be over on the FM. David Locke, Ron Boone on 97.5 The Zone. Also, Weber State's hosting Montana State tonight, 7 o'clock in Ogden. A few storylines here, PK. And uh, for BYU... They've been playing a bunch of close games, and there's no reason that Portland 0-7 in the West Coast Conference should be a close game. Well, the thing about it, man, that's a 5 o'clock our time, 4 o'clock Portland time. That's really going to cut into their home crowd there in Portland, starting that game at 4 o'clock. Nice. They might not have any fans. Again? Crazy. (laughs) For the 30th year in a row. They're 500 fans, and uh, BYU's 1,000 fans, and that crowd of 1,500 is going to have problems. Wasn't that the place where T.J. Hawes uh, told yeah. the fan to shut the F up? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it was, right on the baseline. What did he do? Did he whisper to his uh, buddy next to him in Portland? <laughs> we would have heard if he had. <laughs> no, I think he said it with a little volume, but you're, to your point, there was no crowd noise to drown it out. Uh, Portland, they, they've sucked for so long. Yeah. I, I just don't understand it. Utes hosting Arizona. Utah coming off that good win against Colorado. Can they back it up with a win against Arizona? Arizona 7-4 in the Pac-12 right now. The Utes 4-6 and six, trying to get back to 500 in conference play. They are exactly 7-7 seven and seven on the season. So well, get, get to a winning record is the question. One of the questions that I was thinking about putting on Facebook, I didn't, but I thought about, you know, the Utes, that quality road win. Is this the, the catalyst it just seemed like, well, the other one was the catalyst, and the other one was the catalyst. Now they weren't the catalyst. So now is this the catalyst? If they go out there and just get rolled by Arizona, uh, I, I literally give up. I'm going to give up the Utes for Lent. 
if they do that. And That's a very Jersey thing to do right there. Good work. You giving up Arizona? Giving up the youths for Lent. <laughs> you knew I, it. They, you keep talking that they keep saying, okay, now, now, now. Really? I mean, I would like to see it now. I mean, anytime the Arizona, especially Sean Miller, can lose, I'm all for it. Uh, but it makes me wonder, what do they need? And when Plummer goes off for 23 in the second half, is that really a recipe you can count on game in and game out for uh, your team to win? Probably not, but maybe they could find ways to win without him doing that too. It's not like it's impossible, but listening and reading and seeing, okay, now we got that quality win. You know, this is their best win of the season at Colorado, and now we're ready to go. Okay, well, I'm still waiting, and I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. But we come in here tomorrow, and you got another L. I'm done with you. I won't <laughs> talk about you the rest of the season. You, they, you'll have to handle it. They have been alternating wins and losses for six games now. So. Yeah, but now they got their best win. You're missing the point, man. Yeah. They got their best win of the season. I'm not. I'm now not, they're ready. I'm not missing the point. This is a two-year-old story. So a two-year-old story? Yes. On the verge, the young guys. Here we go. No, no see, the story that you're missing is now they're ready. That's <laughs> okay. what you're missing. <laughs> All right. I realize you're setting it up to this point, but you're missing the fact, well, now they're ready to go. And then the Aggies at Fresno State, the top of the Mountain West Conference. All jumbled up. The Aggies sitting there on two losses. They are 10-2 and two as they get ready for Fresno State tonight. And uh, Boise State's got their first loss now. CSU delivered that. Uh, but the Rams, the Rams are hanging around. They're on three losses. So how's this going to shake out? Who's going to win the league? San Diego State's on three losses. Uh, but they're not playing this week. They're supposed to play New Mexico, and those two games have been canceled. So they're sitting at 7-3. and three. The Rams are at 9-3. and three And... The Aggies are at ten and two. Everybody chasing ten and one Boise State. So, DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I think people are reluctant to buy into Taysom as a quarterback. They can't be reluctant to buy into him as, as, as an asset right, right. football player. Like if we put him out there for trade, we would have thirty-one other teams with interest. People are just hesitant because. We all are hesitant to not knowing what we've seen so far, you know, and, and so he's relatively new as a quarterback. That's Sean Payton, Saints coach, talking about Taysom Hill. What are they going to do? What is Taysom's future? That seems like a question we've heard before, PK. Yeah, even, I don't. Even Sean Payton leaves it unresolved. Why we're talking about uh, his whether he's an NFL player or not? I mean, I think that's long since been proven. So uh, other teams may want him, yeah, but do they want him as a starting quarterback? Of course you want him as a player because he could do pretty much everything that doesn't require, you know, trenches. Uh, I think his talent can play multiple positions, obviously, because he's big and he can run. And that's half the battle in football if he can run. But is he a starting quarterback in the NFL? That's the issue. That's what he wants. Of course that's what he wants. And Sean Payton's going to be the one to decide that. So I find that interesting. Like Sean Payton, and that was just a snippet. I haven't heard the whole con- contextual interview before and after what he was saying. But Sean Payton, there's no need to convince us that Taysom Hill is an NFL player. 
What needs to be proven is that he's a starting quarterback and the winning quarterback in the NFL. That's what needs to be proven, not the ground level of whether he has the talent to play in the NFL. He's had that probably since he's been about 10 years old. Yeah, and then the next question is, is he a quarterback who uh, you know, will be good enough to beat the bad teams but not to make enough plays to beat the good teams? Well, a winning quarterback in the NFL is a winning quarterback. You don't get any extra wins for beating. They all add, they all equal the same. But you end up with a ceiling on how good the team can be. And then the Saints have been, they've gotten a Super Bowl and they've been a perennial playoff team and so close to it, and obviously they won another one. Peyton says he hopes Jameis Winston will re-up with the team, wants him to re-sign, and expects an announcement from Drew Brees on Drew Brees' future in the next week or two. Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes among a list of 20 people who are scheduled to have their hair cut by a team barber. Barber ended up testing positive, forced two chief players into isolation. It was a weird deal. I guess they had him into the facility, and he was tested for days before he came into the facility. Five days. Tested in the facility, and then that last test came back positive while he was cutting the player's hair. So we've heard they got a couple guys who are have got a test positive now all week and then can be cleared on Saturday. But Mahomes didn't get there yet. He was, he was further back in line, so Chiefs fans can breathe easy over that. And former NFL head coach Marty Schottenheimer has been moved to a hospice facility near his home in Charlotte, North Carolina. Complications from Alzheimer's disease. He was diagnosed in 2014. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Recruiting rankings from this year's recruiting cycles place Alabama atop the sport again. Maybe the most talented class Nick Saban has ever signed, which is saying something because he signed some awfully talented classes, but 22 players on ESPN's top 300 list. 13 of them on the top 100 list. Oregon led the Pac-12 at number five overall. The PK, but who have you seen being picked to win the Pac-12? Well, I've seen a lot of uh, Utah, for sure, next season. That is the question of the day. Several predictions have the Utes winning the Pac-12 next season. Can it be that the boys in red are going to win the conference and go to the Rose Bowl? That's the question of the day. We'll get to it. Coming up next, later in the show, Tim Lacombe. Chad Lewis on the way. Chad Lewis, former BYU and Philadelphia Eagle tight end. Join us at uh, 9 o'clock. And that's not Tim Lacombe, that's Bowler. Yak, you exhausted by these 10-hour shifts you're pulling. I'm like, didn't we have Tim on yesterday? Probably like 15 hours, but yeah. 15-hour shifts. Iron Man. He's our, he's our Cal Ripken, PK. He's our Lou Gehrig. He's our Joe Ingles, that Iron Man streak. A couple of other guys have been out here for a while now. Yak's doing it all. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801. 801- 295-1690. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations for the Utah Jazz, Dennis Lindsay with us. Dennis, we thought you're going to be in a pretty good mood jumping on the show today. Your team's playing great. Yeah, they've come together and we're pleased with the results thus far. We've got a lot of work to do. We're only at the quarter pole, but uh, we've defended well. Got back to a previous Jazz level and Quinn has designed a really unique offense based upon spacing and shooting and sharing the ball when a guy's really 
believe in the system that Hughes developed. What we promise is we'll just continue to work hard and be humble and honest with ourselves, and hopefully we can make a good account for the season. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It is time... For Hot Takes or Toast, brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. Right now, you can get up to $6,000 in purchase allowance on the XT line. I've experienced the luxury you deserve by booking a test drive today. Several predictions have the Utes winning the Pac-12 next season. Can it be that the boys in red are going to the Rose Bowl? The granddaddy, PK. Pac-12 champs. That's what's next. It's a logical step. That's what they have uh, not been able to do. They've been right there, but haven't gotten the job done. Cameras having none of it. Same every year. All the hype. Then they win four games. Then they lose to some garbage team, and then they come back to their reality. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to throw out this last season, obviously it wasn't a real season. But the season before that, they lost to SC and then didn't lose again until Oregon. So the two losses were to SC and Oregon. I guess if they're garbage teams, then the Pac-12 really is full of garbage. Brian says most of the starters will be back. There is hope at the quarterback position. And no team in the league appears to be elite. It is a good possibility. So it's a good possibility because everybody else stinks. I mean, that's not the way to go. That's that's totally backdooring it. <laughs> well, he says most of the starters will be back, and there's hope at the quarterback position. But there is the big hitch in it: is what is the quarterback position going to look like? We don't know who's going to win the job. Sure, we. So do. how much hope can you have? Charlie Brewer is going to win the job. You may not know it, but Kyle knows it. A hundred percent. Okay. Well, listen to his quote. Uh, he was on the Pac-12 network yesterday. I don't think he made himself available locally. If he did, I didn't catch it, but maybe he did. But on the Pac-12 network, he said, bottom line, Charlie, he loves bottom line. He's a big bottom line phrase user. Bottom line, the guy's name is Charlie Brewer from Baylor, and he's the one who threw for 9,700 yards in three seasons with the Bears. Uh, and and two two years ago, he was 11-2, and two, and they played in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, bottom line, Charlie felt good about what our plans were and the opportunity he had here. He felt like it was a good fit. We're ecstatic that he's here. He'll. This is the thing that caught my eye. He'll be the guy in spring ball that will get the majority of the reps. We'll see what happens. So he, Kyle is already anointing this guy. He's, there's nothing about this is an open competition. He'll be the guy in spring ball that will get the majority of the reps. That's a strong, strong statement. That doesn't seem like... Well, everyone will take equal amounts, and then we'll will it down from there and go from there. He'll be the guy that gets the majority of the reps. If that doesn't sound like the starter, I don't know who does. So then Rose Bowl, he's the guy. It's two different things. The defense looked really good. I mean, I know it wasn't a full season and all that, but they, they passed the eyeball test. And the run game, whatever question marks or doubts you have, it usually works out. There may be stuff to iron out, but it usually works out. Quarterback well, playing a passing game, and away you go. You know, yeah, well, that's two different things, though. You asked who's going to be the starting quarterback. Now you're asking, is he good enough to take you to the Rose Bowl? That is something I can't answer, but it looks like 
by Kyle's own words, they've got a starter right now. And why wouldn't they? He, he's the certainly in spring ball, he'll be literally the only one who's ever taken a snap. Right, the transfer from Texas didn't get out on the field, and the high school kid is a high school kid. So, and and uh, Rising isn't going to be available, so they don't have anybody else who's literally taken a snap. But I'm surprised that Kyle was that strong in his assessment by saying this kid will get the majority of the reps. If I'm this Costelli kid, I'm thinking, oh, what the heck am I coming up here and giving up my senior year of high school, although I don't know what they're doing in California. I haven't figured out what. Not much would be my guess. I don't think he's given much up. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know that. I mean, hanging with your family and with your friends, if that's your definition of not giving up much, then so be it. To me, that would be a lot. Nelly says, I think so. I think we have a solid team. USC always loses in big games. I worry about ASU, but I love our chances. Which is balanced by Nephi saying, ha ha, that's funny. Somebody slipped and busted their head making a stupid prediction like that. What's that mean? Uh, I think if I click on it, it means that they root for BYU or Utah State. No, well... That's that's all it means. They just have allegiances. I mean, what does the statement mean? It means it's ridiculous, and the team isn't going to win the uh, conference. That's how I took it. Steven says, "I hope so, but I'm not going to believe the hype until it is proven." Steven sounds disappointed by a couple of conference championship game losses. Well, of course it would be. However many you had, that's how many times you'd be disappointed. I would take issue to an extent that the defense looked really good last year. Really? I mean, they gave up 33 to SC. They gave up 24 and two quarters to Washington. Uh, gave up 28 to Washington State with a freshman quarterback. So, that, to me... I, Judging by Utah standards, that's not really good. So how good a shot are you giving them then? I mean, you must think they have some shot. You didn't think it was ridiculous when you saw the predictions. I see no reason why they wouldn't be in the mix. Yeah, that's a good. I mean, but that's a good call because they've been in the mix so many years. But I don't view it like I did two years ago when they were the overwhelming favorite and they had thirty-three of the thirty-six votes. It was an absolute one hundred percent no-brainer to the point where, at this point, going into that season, as they were approaching spring ball, Kyle was talking about how to handle being the favorite. So they were going to be the overwhelming favorite. They knew they were going to be the overwhelming favorite. And he was coaching his team on how to handle being in that position. And they ended up handling it just fine. I mean, Kyle came out with that prediction. I was sitting in the tent down at the Coliseum when they lost to SC, saying that no one's going to go undefeated in this league. He was basically saying we have a shot to win the rest of our games, and they did. 
So I don't think they're at this point here. Any, I don't think it's anything close to that. I think the best I can come up for you is that they can be in the mix. That, that I can't go more than that. I can't go like 2019 when it was so overwhelmingly clear when they had all that NFL talent return. Now, this they may have a lot of NFL talent. It's just that I don't know it yet. That At that point, they had juniors coming back as seniors that were clearly projected to go in the NFL draft if they were to come out. And they all came back, and then they all went into the draft, and all of them are playing in the NFL. I need more time to see if these individuals are going to come back. You know, you look at uh, Jalen Johnson. Well, he was a sophomore going into his junior year, but he had already had massive games at that point. And so here, uh, Clark Phillips, just using him as an example, you know, he got better, but he was not on the level. Jalen Johnson was advanced, plus Julian Backman was a senior, had played at a ton of football. So I can't necessarily say the same thing at this point on the timeline. Now, if it was next year, you know, we'd have another. And we didn't really have a, a whole lot of evidence this season, too. Not only were they young, but, I mean, they got some experience for sure. But it's not like we saw them in big games in November. Yeah, you know, it's everything you just said about uh, about Clark Phillips. I mean, okay, Johnson, we had two years so we had a pretty good idea what he could do. We'd seen two years' worth of games as opposed to seeing five games, not quite right. half a season. Right. They didn't play in any big games this year. You know, that season opener in November is a phrase I never thought I would use <laughs> uh, for college football, right? I mean, they, they, they didn't start until November 21st. Interestingly enough, Kyle's 61st birthday is when they opened the season. So it was good experience that they got, for sure. But it wasn't a legitimate season that we're basing all those NFL guys on that they had uh, in that uh, lineup two seasons ago. So uh, I put them in the mix, and, and then we'll see what happens when – it's time to go, and hopefully we have the full season starting on time, and everything goes the way it's supposed to. Blah blah blah, uh, you know. So, what level of confidence do you have that Brewer is going to be the starting quarterback? Because Kyle can pump him up and say he's the guy in spring, but when you lay it out the way you did, and he's got the experience, and Rising isn't available, if Brewer's head and shoulders above the other guys, is he still head and shoulders above Rising? Because Kyle didn't really seem to address that, I mean, could Rising be the guy if he's healthy in the summer? And I mean, when Kyle says, you know, we'll see, I guess we'll see can, can include we'll see when Rising is healthy and if he's on a pitch count. I mean, we've been through quarterback injuries. We know they're kind of, depending on what's going on, they can be kind of unpredictable here. Or do you think Brewer's going to steamroll all the competition, healthy Rising included? And really it's a question getting Rising healthy to be the backup in case what happens to Rising what happened to Rising last year happens to Brewer this year. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, and I could be wrong, but I don't think there's any need for a pitch count because I don't think it's on Rising's throwing shoulder. Am I wrong here? Okay, but if he's limited in any way, I think you're right. I think it is his non-throwing shoulder. Uh, so I have to address his health first, and I don't know what his health status is yeah. going to be, so I can't address it. Uh, at the time. I think that he's going to compete. If he's healthy, I wouldn't see why he wouldn't compete. But he cannot come close to matching the experience that Brewer has. I mean, they've been getting 
the transfer quarterbacks that they've been getting were um, they've had reasons for transferring that were the obvious playing time. Kendall Thompson didn't get to play like he thought. And there was a guy here locally who knows the Thompson family. And every week for two or three years, if he's listening, this guy would send me emails about how Aaron Roderick and whoever was the current offensive coordinator, which I think it was A-Rod, had his head so far up his rear end by not playing Thompson. (laughs) I mean, he must have sent me 50 emails uh, on Kendall Thompson should be the guy. Well, he had a connection to the family, obviously, and was biased and wanted to see Thompson play. But the, and I hesitate to use the word "damaged goods," but or phrase, but essentially that's what they were. I mean, Bentley came out here because he wasn't good enough at South Carolina, and no offense to the young man, but when we saw, we could see why, why he moved, wasn't why, good enough we saw in South they, Carolina. Yeah, we saw why they moved on to another guy. Yeah. And now he's gone. I think, where'd he go? South Alabama or something? So the ones that they've gotten were not really good enough. And now I got three more guys. Well, you're a big history guy. You love <laughs> to talk about that stuff. Yeah. So I've just given you two dudes. And then who was the one? Uh, he had one way back when they were still in the Mountain West. Tommy Grady from, was that his name? From yeah. Oklahoma. Yep. Is that what we? Well, okay. He wasn't good enough, right? A so now I've got three legend, guys. Tommy Grady. Yeah. So now I've got three guys, right? So I'm so so suspect these guys are going to be different than those guys, and we're going back over a ten year period. Now I'm all excited about these guys. I, great, you could be a ten star dude, but you didn't get out on the field on your prior places where your 10-star dude, except Brewer did. That's the big difference. He did get out on the field. He did throw for 9,700 yards and rush for over 1,000 yards. That's three seasons, so that's not a big number there, but it shows he can move around a little bit. But the 9,700 yards in the 11-2 and Sugar Bowl appearance in 2019 jumps off the charts to the point where, correct me if I'm wrong, the Baylor coach springboards that to be the Carolina Panthers coach. Am I right about that? Correct. Right. So uh, this guy helped that guy get an NFL job. So in my mind, this fella is different than the other ones. Now, I don't know the specific reasons why he decided to leave. Now, Baylor isn't the program that they were. That's for sure. Uh, We understand that. Uh, And Utah is a solid program. At worst, they're a solid program. At best, they're a Rose Bowl team. And so maybe that's the thing is that, hey, this program isn't that good. This program over here is pretty solid. you got to admit that. I mean, they're, they're a solid program for sure. And that, to me, that's just bottom level. They can be spectacular. They can be ranked sixth deep, deep into November and contending for a playoff spot. They've already done that. And so you can see where why he would be the opportunity to play uh, for a really good team to showcase your skills even more. I assume he wants to play in the NFL. Everybody does that. So this Brewer kid's got me excited because he's different from all the others, the other four or five kids who've come into your program. And even at Bentley, uh, man, he threw for all those yards. He made 33 starts in the SEC. Everybody got excited. Hate to say it because you don't want to crack on a college kid, but – you know, you look at him, and you think, oh, okay, he's sort of like Utah basketball was. 
or is. Okay, man, now he's had a solid series. Now he's got it together. No, he's throwing the worst pass I've ever seen thrown uh, at the end of the first half against Washington State. And finally they had enough. (laughs) And you're thinking, geez, one step forward, two steps back type of deal with this kid. So Brewer, in my mind, seems to be different. So that's the reason for optimism. Well, that lays out a pretty optimistic case, and I hope it. I hope it breaks that way. Um, and I, I guess if Kyle sees in him a chance to win the division and win the conference because he thinks the defense has made enough progress and will continue to make progress, obviously they, they will have to continue to make progress. That everything is there, then he can go with the 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 older guy. We've seen a couple oh, quarterback sure. competitions where. I thought he was leaning towards the older guy, and then it turns out he wasn't leaning towards the older guy. He's he leaning, leaning towards, towards the, the better guy. That's what it is. Uh, yeah. Rising clearly. <laughs> the, yeah, Rising was. In the Rising case, yes. In the, in the Troy Williams-Tyler Huntley, I think in the short run, they could have won more with Troy. But in sure. the long run, it was clear that investing in Tyler was a good idea. And that because, was four years ago, and Kyle yeah. wasn't in his 60s. Yeah. He's going to be 62 this year. You're not playing for the future. So that comes down to, does he think that this team really can win the conference this year? In which case, well, I, I don't think it comes down to do that. It. Really? I think, you, you, yeah, you play with the best guy, even if you're trying to get bowl eligible. You're trying to win as many games as you can, so you play the best guy that you have in your program. It's, there's really no difference. It's not like, well, okay, we're going to we're gonna make a push this year. This is our year, so we're going to play this guy. But if this wasn't our year, even though this guy's better than that guy, we're still going to go with the younger guy. I don't see that's where their, their program is, and that's not where in the stage of his coaching career it, where he's at. He's trying to win as many ball games as he possibly can. And with the transfer portal, what's the point of worrying about next year? Because there's Cause somebody just out there on the planet. just go get another transfer. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I think you really have to think that way. Well, I think what you said yesterday. I actually was thinking about this yesterday afternoon that we were talking because yesterday was the traditional signing day, and uh-huh. December eclipsed it. And as soon as the December date happened, Kyle was doing multiple interviews where he yeah. said, "This is going to be bigger." I mean, he just knew where the trend was going. Right. He exactly. knew kids wanted to sign. He knew coaches wanted kids to sign. The coaching staffs wanted to move on to the next class and be done with yep. this one. So Precisely. he's totally right. But when you said yesterday, yeah, recruiting is still a big deal. But if you know X percent, because it seems like the percent is climbing, so why, why marry yourself to one number now? Because it seems like it's going to be a bigger number in another year or two. If you know this many kids are going to transfer, why get that hyped up about signing day? I guess if you're Alabama, it, then it you're going to plug those guys in, you're going to go win. So they can get hyped up about it. But for everybody else, if the top two guys in your quarterback depth chart are transfers and the top two guys in your running back depth chart are transfers, what are we all getting worked up about signing day for? I mean, your whole team isn't going to be transfers, so signing day will still be a thing to some degree. It's important. Yeah, yeah. I get your point. But at the same time, it's not even close to a finished product saying, well, this is our core of guys now two or three years down the road. Yeah. No. No, absolutely not. The pot is right. going to get stirred, both with guys coming and guys going. I mean, Brewer's coming, but it looks like Brian Thompson's going. Right. So. And Kyle said that. He he went biblical yesterday during his interview on the Pac-12 Network. He said the 
the transfer portal taketh or giveth and the transfer portal taketh or which, whichever phrase is taketh first or giveth first. Which one is that? But anyway, giveth and taketh that, away. Giveth and yeah. taketh away, yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, so he <laughs> he went a little biblical on that. And so was good he's right. Go. Let's go biblical. They lose Thompson, but they, they actually, I mean, they've been pretty good about guys uh, – Staying, they haven't lost that much talent. They've lost some, but not that much compared to as much as they brought in. And I think you always thing. you always got to look at that ratio. You know, is it a fifty fifty split coming and going? Is it eighty twenty in your favor? Is it eighty twenty against you? You got to be you got to be winning in the portal because that is just another phase of recruiting, and recruiting is ninety percent of the deal, as he's told and, us over and over. And it's become an extremely important phase of recruiting. Oh, yeah. That's what's that's that's the biggest development in college football over what would you say the last five years? Yeah, I was even going to say the last three. I mean, it really seems like it's accelerating. It's not that it wasn't a deal five years ago because it was, but it's it's a yeah. way bigger deal now. I mean, exactly. it's really the last two to three years. It's just accelerating. I mean, and they're holding scholarships available for yeah. the potential. Yeah, and they're not alone. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Bowlers coming up. Talk jazz basketball at 8.30. Chad Lewis, former Cougar star, former Eagle, currently BYU's associate AD. He'll join us at 9 o'clock. Andy Reid's story's coming. Super Bowl talk coming. You know that. Chad is absolutely an Andy Reid guy. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Have we ever talked to John on the air? No, no, and I've got questions. Is he there? I'm here. Hey, John, how are hey, you? Hey, John. I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, John, yeah. why we have you? No, no. We've had a, uh-huh. a, a long back and forth about a pitchfork incident. I want to know the details of my buddy here and your brother running a pitchfork through you. <laughs> we were out working and, you know, cleaning our ends or whatever you want to call it. And uh, he thought that he was like King Triton and he uh, threw that pitchfork and uh, oh! that is true enough. He sat on the mark and put it right underneath the kneecap. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, and I killed a guy with a trident. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now on any regularly priced blankets with the code word WELCOME30 at MinkyCouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's Day gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Layton, Draper, Orem, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at MinkyCouture.com. Bowler's coming up in half an hour, and we'll talk jazz with him, PK, and the uh, jazz at the point they're at Atlanta and uh, Atlanta has been a, a 500-ish team. They're going back-to-back. They lost to the Mavericks, who the Jazz just beat twice. It seems like ho-hum, this ought to be a win, which, oh you're, oh, you're already, ooh. But isn't that a great place to be in that it's like, yeah, if you're, if you're a good team, if you're a legit contender like we're talking about, you're not going to beat all the 500 teams on your schedule, and Atlanta isn't 500 with that loss. They're now 10 and 11. But you're going to beat most of them. And the Jazz had been beating most of them, so it's a pretty good place to be. But you got you got a special worry about this because you're like, come on, you're Mister Positive, exactly. upbeat. If you're really that good, so why sure. the? Well, okay, thank you for asking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving you a second to gather yourself, setting the stage. 
<laughs> I think the Atlanta Hawks are at the crux of what the NBA has become. Yeah, which I, I think, see where you're going. Yes. I think is a good spot. Is that, okay, this is not a great team by any stretch, but I want to be drawn in. Now, obviously, it's the Jazz. They could be playing the Washington Generals, and we would be drawn in, right? Right. We understand that. But aside from that, give me something. Well, the Hawks give me something. Trey Young is an emerging player. He could go for 40. Mm-hmm. Right, he's a smaller dude and uh, a kid out of Oklahoma. I think he's literally right out of Norman, and he stayed home there and had a sensational run with the Sooners. But you're wondering, okay, how does that translate to the NBA? You know, you don't know what to do. The Suns looking for a point guard. They passed on him, if I remember correctly. You know, they wouldn't have needed Chris Paul if they would have taken the kid. And I'm assuming the reason they pass on him is the kid's size. Well, he's passed the test, right? He's a legitimate NBA player, and I don't watch him a lot because he's over there in the East, and I'm not focusing on the Hawks, obviously. Well, now I get an opportunity to do that. He can get some stuff going. A young, spectacular, had the potential to be spectacular in any given game. Now, when he came here last month, what was he, 1 of 10, 1 of 11? He, something like that, double-check that, but he stunk. Right, he couldn't buy a basket, throw it in the ocean, that type of thing. It wasn't his game. All right, it happens. Now, today, tonight, it could be his game. So it draws me in. I think the Hawks, in any given game, are a dangerous team. They're not overall going to be contending for home court advantage in the first round. We understand that. But on a singular game basis, the Hawks have enough for me to be interested. Trey Young leading the way. And they've got some other guys, too. Uh, you know, Gallinari coming off the bench. Well, we've watched Gallinari play for a number of years now, right? Because he's been in the West with a bunch of different teams. Uh, Thunder and Clippers and Denver and I think he... Well, he started out with New York, wasn't he part of that Carmelo Anthony trade way back when? And then we know a few years back, around the time that the Hayward thing was going down, that the Jazz were had potential interest in Gallinari. And then he ends up signing with the Clippers, right? So he's a nice three-point shooter. He's not a great player by any stretch, but he can... If he puts in five three-pointers in a singular game, no one's going to go, wow, I didn't see that coming, right? So the point is that there's some talent there. Yeah, they, and so yeah. I wouldn't expect it to be a complete and total, oh, I'm going to go into this game with 99% confidence that the Jazz are going to win. If they're dialed in and play well, then I think they win. If they aren't dialed in and they don't play well to your point although Atlanta is not a great team they're definitely mediocre they got enough guys if Trey Young goes off or Clint Capella goes off or Gallinari goes off that's not that's not surprising that they got enough talent and and they can beat people so and for them where they are they made substantial they're making substantial improvement you just look at last night John Collins go look at John Collins's box score John Collins John Collins we're talking about John Collins. Look what he did. We talk you see what about he did? Practice. Practice. You see what my man John Collins did last night in the loss to the Mavericks? 35, 35 points and 12 rebounds. He's John Collins. 16 of 21 shooting the ball. 3 of 4 from 3. That's precisely my point. The essence of my point is summed up in John Collins. Now, I'd imagine most of our listeners, you've got to be hardcore to know who John Collins is, 
right? Kid out of Wake Forest. They took him, I think he's, uh, what, like in his fifth year in the league. Well, he's averaging 17-8 and uh, 7.9 boards. I mean, I mean, I think it's somewhat of a – who Locke put out that theory that you got to have guys getting rebounds and points on every team. It's mm-hmm. just the way it is. So it doesn't necessarily mean just because you have decent stats that you're really that good because somebody's got to have them on every team. But nevertheless, when he goes for 35-12 and 12, – that opens my eyes a little bit. Now, I don't expect him to put those two games back-to-back, so in a sense, that's good for the Jazz because John Collins is not a 35-12 and 12 guy consistently. You know, he's not letter carrier here who you could book it on 82 to come close to those numbers for 15 freaking years that he did, that man did. You know, incredible. But in a given game, he can do it. That's why... I wouldn't just assume all the Jazz have to do is show up. That's my point. Well, I, th- I don't, and you're right about that, but I think that I do assume that they play well because they've been playing well for big stretches of a lot of games. It doesn't mean they don't give up runs. And it doesn't mean they didn't get beat in Denver, I know. But they have been playing well and not giving stuff away. And if they come in and, and play a B-minus, C-plus game, then the door is open for John Collins and Trey Young to take them down. You know, when you it, think about this, man, John Collins is the best Collins in the league since <laughs> Doug. Famous Collinses. Ready? Go. All right, Bowler's coming up. We'll talk with him about this at uh, 8.30. DJ and PK, we got more reaction coming up to the question of the morning. Several predictions have the Utes winning the Pac-12 next season. Can it be the boys in red? We'll be in the Rose Bowl, and we'll get to that next. Stay with us. DG and PK want to remind you Valentine's Day not far away. A week from Sunday, flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with the Jazz, can make it easy. All you have to do is visit them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's is on a Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers at jimmysflowers.com. Question of the morning. Several predictions of the youths winning the Pac-12 next season. Can it be the boys in red will be in the Rose Bowl? Literally, PK... To take this literally, can it be? Yes, it can be. Will it be? Is it likely to be? And the crystal ball gets a little fuzzy then, reading the future then. We're coming off what you call a not a real season for uh, teams. For most teams, it was five or six games in the Pac-12. Yeah, particularly in the West, obviously. Right. In the West? Oh, in the Western part of the U.S., yeah. The, uh, the season was so short. Um a little different for the ACC and the SEC. They got to see, you know, 10 or 11 right. games. Right. But for the Pac-12 teams, but just sticking with a Pac-12 race, it's five or six games, and so you see those games. There were some games that were kind of big, but we knew from the get-go they weren't really playing for a playoff bid, so that takes some of the pressure out. You're not playing in front of a full roaring stadium when you're eight, ten games deep in the season and the stakes are high. So... All these schools have two recruiting classes plus transfer classes. I don't know even how I'm supposed to refer to that, but the transfer market is growing. So it seems like there's so many moving pieces that if you say, hey, I really think Utah is going to do it, if I think, if someone else is saying, I think USC is going to do it, and someone else says uh, Oregon or Washington is going to do it, how do you really tell them no? There's so, if you, if you phrase it, can it be? I mean, isn't you love horse racing analogies? Isn't this the the top of the Kentucky Derby, and they're coming around the they're coming around the turn four wide? Well, okay, then I'm going to take the guy, the horse on the rail, because he has a shorter distance. There it is. He's run less, right? 
<laughs> the wider you go, the more energy you have to use. Uh, so, yeah, that's. I don't have any problem with what you're saying, which is why I put them in the mix. They're not the dominant, but they're in the mix. Now, let's see what they can do. You know, it looks like uh, going forward here in the last couple of years and looking ahead to this next season, the biggest game. At, at least on paper now, seems like it's SC, right? Yeah. Well, you look at SC last year. They really or the Utes weren't really in the game, but SC had played a couple of games, and the Utes hadn't. Mm-hmm. It's just like that's never going to happen. So it wasn't an apples and apples comparison. Yeah. So I look at last year, and I just totally throw it out. It's meaningless as I judge these teams because there never is going to be a situation, hopefully ever again, where that you're playing your first game of the season and they've already played two other games and that's just unheard of plus they have conference games too obviously sc had conference games and you had nothing because of the circumstances right so you throw that out there and you look at it beyond that you know they've had games that have just come right down to the wire so i have no reason to suspect that this next season will be anything different uh, but at the same time you know, you're not sure because you don't know on any given game. And the Utes now are coming in in positions where they haven't had a strong, they haven't been strong at quarterback. We know that. But they've been strong at running back. Well, they've never had a situation where they've lost their top three guys. The obvious, and I keep, I hate to have to talk about this, relative to the death of the young man but that's the situation when it comes to football and then they have the two other guys who transferred out right so what do we have there now you've got guys from big schools lsu and oklahoma man they just jump out at you but what does that mean does that mean that they're good because it's not like they're coming from like before where we oh wow they played in the uh, they didn't call them power five then but they're coming to us well, there's really not a whole lot of difference. I don't care who Oklahoma has. I don't care who LSU has. There's not a lot of difference there between those running backs and the ones that Utah has, right? Because Utah's put guys in the NFL left and right. So what's the difference? So it's not like, wow, I'm expecting them to come in and just dominate because they're playing a lesser level of competition. They're not necessarily so what's it going to be? I don't know. It's a question mark. I have to rely on history. I can't necessarily rely on proven commodities. You see what I'm saying there? I do, and I think that whereas the quarterback transfers give me a little bit of hope. Um, okay, Brewer came in. He threw for all these yards. And he won all these games. But I look at the running back transfers and think the Utes have had a bunch of running backs. I guess it's hope because it could be an upgrade over what they've had. But the Utes have had guys who've not only been, you know, gone to the NFL. At quarterback, you're speaking. At quarterback, yeah. it looks like it could be an upgrade. Now, I'm not does, sure you're, um, and you may be right, because I, I can't tell you you're not. I'm not sure Brewer's the guy. I get he'll be the guy in the spring, but as you point out, well, he really ought to be. Boy, if he can't, I mean, he's got all this experience. He ought to be the guy in the spring. But Kyle didn't say he'd be the guy. He left open the chance to have competition with Rising. Now, maybe ultimately it'll just prove that, you know, Brewer's head and shoulders above Rising and should be the guy. Will it be a really close competition, or will Rising end up showing that he should be the guy? I, I can't guarantee anybody anything on that. You know, we didn't, we didn't get to go to practices. We didn't get to go to scrimmages. Rising played a quarter and then got hurt. 
So to me, there's all kinds of question marks. You know, one of the things they were saying about Bentley is that it was a different style. It was being, he wasn't put in the, in the scheme that he was at at South Carolina, and the adjustment proved to be a big problem. And we all saw, you know, the play wasn't what we expected. But at running back, they've been really good at running back. They not only send guys to the NFL, they send guys to the NFL who get a lot of carries. You know, they're not, they're not on the team but buried on the depth chart playing on special teams. They're getting snaps. They're running the ball. They're getting the ball thrown to them. And when you're a running back transferring, you might be that good. You might be buried on a really good depth chart. So they might be getting something of that quality. But mostly, the guys their age, if they're really good, aren't they going to the NFL? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So if you transfer to another school because you can't get on field where you were, now maybe you're stuck. I mean, some of these teams, you know, everybody recruits a lot of running backs and moves them to other positions, and, and maybe you were unfortunate and got stuck in a really a program that just landed a bunch of guys, and, you know, you're, you're all good enough, but there's only one football that gets to be carried, and everybody else has to block, and you want, you want to carry the ball. Maybe that's the case, but it doesn't seem like getting running back transfers – should encourage Ute fans the way getting a quarterback transfer could. Except, I think this is a set, an unusual set of circumstances that hopefully, obviously, never happens again. You get a freshman yeah. who obviously just takes that the star reins. power. Yeah, it's just, power. and so the other kids look at okay, this kid's a freshman. He's absolutely awesome, right? right? He's a freshman All-American, whatever they have. He should have been All-Conference. I don't even remember what the awards were. But obviously Ty was just brilliant. So then the other two guys think, I ain't, because of those <laughs> things you just stated, right. one guy gets to carry and the other guys do the other stand around. Well, they look at it and say, well, yeah, I'm pretty good. I was highly recruited myself. Yeah. I'm not going to get this opportunity. So they leave. And then we know the tragedy with Ty. That creates a situation where Utah suddenly is in the market. Normally, they're not in the market for running backs Mm -hmm. because they bring them along. Or if they need one in a short-term situation, they went and got a couple of junior college transfers, John White and Booker, and both of those guys were really, really good. Normally, uh, they, that's the way they've been plugging it. And that's a new world now to where you go with the, tra- the, the other form of a transfer. But if all things were being equal and Ty Jordan was coming back, I'm wondering if one or both of these kids decides to come to Utah. So I think you have to look at this season with the running back transfers a little bit differently than you normally would in uh, usual circumstances. These are extreme circumstances. Because you wonder, say like if uh, Ty Jordan would have been, say he would have been a junior, and and then he would have gone to the NFL. Well, would those other two kids have left the program? Probably not. But because they didn't know what was going to happen in the tragedy, they figure they got to get out because they're running out of time. Oh, yeah. So I think it's an unusual circumstances and events that led to this. But I have to go back that, you know, they took these guys. Now, well, we just need body. Now we're going to take anybody. No, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I think that, yeah, they needed bodies. But I think they were also dealing from a position of strength because, Everybody who does anything with college football knows if you're a really good running back at Utah, you're going to go to the NFL. So I think that it's not like they were beggars, is what I'm trying to say, that they could be choosers to an extent, and they chose these two kids. And they come from big programs with big pedigrees, so you know I have reason to believe that they'll be able to move the ball offensively. If they can't, 
well, they're in a whole lot of trouble. But right. when has that ever happened? That but, that's just that rarely happens. We're we're not asking them to come in and be pretty good. I assume that it's some kind of uh, base level, floor level that like that's going to happen because you coaches are good at evaluating running backs, and Kyle would rather hold on to the scholarship than give it to somebody who can't play. So, but we're talking about winning the conference. So at this point, you need players who are going to go beyond being pretty good. The Utes uh-huh. have had a, yeah, a lot of pretty good players over the last six or seven years, so they have routinely, with one exception, when they, you know, Huntley's sophomore year, but with that one exception, you know, they have been in the conference race five years out of six. Uh, and then last year was really weird. So, but I still think going forward, it's not unusual in the Pac-12 to see a freshman or sophomore come in and have a big impact. And it, Sometimes they totally surprise you. Sometimes you have a little bit of a clue. But I think we're going to be much more in the totally surprised category this year because we just didn't see that much football. So there weren't that many clues to be had. Are you speaking generally? Or I'm talking about, about, the, I'm about the whole conference. Okay, you know, that's what I thought. What yeah. can you really evaluate about USC, Oregon, or Washington? Now, we watch the Pac-12 South the way we watch the NBA's Western Conference. We watch it closer than we watch the Pac-12 North. But when you're bringing in these four- and five-star guys, and some of them will flame out and be totally overrated, I know. But there will be guys who come in and make an impact, and we just don't know who they are right now. You know, we, we, we don't know. And so <clears throat> when you're th- saying this guy who we don't really know, how is he going to perform in a full stadium in game 9 or 11 or 12 or 13, whatever, you know, when there's been a whole season of development, and now there's pressure— and there's a full stadium screaming at him, which nobody had to, you know, s- these high school kids may have played. I mean, you're down in the L.A. area. What's a big high school crowd? 5,000 people? Maybe 10? Yeah. Right? So yeah. you've played in 10. And even if you're a big program, you played in front of 15,000. That's not the same as walking into Autzen Stadium or walking into Rice-Eccles or walking into the Coliseum when USC's good and all those people are screaming. And how are they going to perform? Man, the coaches don't know half the time and they're around them all the time. So how are we supposed to sit here now? So when I hear the question, can the Utes do it? Sure, but I would say the same thing about four or five other teams in the league. You know, I mean, really crazy stuff. Is Stanford going to get it back? Is, is uh, you know, Herm's getting into his third year, so he's going to have his own guys. Is he about to take a big step forward? Fourth year, but yeah. Fourth year, okay. Most guys, yeah, I'm not counting the third, but yes, fourth. Most, um, the thing is he's getting his recruiting classes in. And most of these ASU coaches, although they're routinely a little over 500, they do have a big year. Well, when does the big year happen if he has a big year? When's the last time you had a coach? When's the, yeah, right? when's the last time you had a coach <laughs> at ASU who didn't have a big year? How many of the, have, in the 10 years the Utes have been in the league or even going back 20? Oh, a singular year? Yeah. Where, I think you have, to go, you have to go back to the guy who replaced John Cooper. Okay, so you the infamous, I'm sure you'll remember, Larry Marmy. Ah, yes, I do, actually. <laughs> Just because it's a goofy name. No, Snyder, Cutter, Erickson, Graham all had seasons yeah. in which they won won big. It just promised they couldn't sustain it. Herm actually hasn't had it yet. And so the pressure's on. You know, you're, yeah. you're a great dude and all that stuff, but you got to win. And uh, Todd Graham so, had two 10-win seasons. Why can't you? Dennis Erickson had a 10-win season. Why can't you? Yeah, and obviously Snyder got within five seconds of being undefeated yeah. and winning the national championship for the second time because in 1975 they were the Sporting News national champion. And you can't take that away from me as much as you try. 
I think that's our cue to go to break, Yak. Am I right? Not that I was not that I was a big fan of here's the Devils the, at the time. Here's but the that's question. besides the point. <laughs> Is there a banner hanging or a placard or something? Yeah. Do you okay. want me to take no, a picture? People, I'll go downstairs and I'll I'll <laughs> okay. show you the picture I have. <laughs> you know what I mean? In the stadium. <laughs> You can hang a banner but for nice, anything. But nice job. Well done. I, don't, I disagree with that, Yak, but I don't want to light you up because you've produced like 36 of the last 41 hours of radio on this station. So. That's all right. Let's go to break. <laughs> I watch, you remember, you, you ever see the, the, the like old videos or the, the, there used to be this craze where they do these marathon dances and you'd win money or something. And basically it's like, how long could you stay on your feet and people would fall asleep? The hand on the car thing. You're not there, Yak, but I feel like... Oh, you could be tomorrow. We're rolling up on it. Yeah. yeah. All right. When we come back, Craig Bowlerjack, TV voice of the Utah Jazz. Jazz in Atlanta tonight. We will talk with him about the Jazz. And then Chad Lewis is here to talk about Andy Reid, the Chiefs, and the Bucks in the Super Bowl. Chad Lewis, of course, playing for the Eagles, all pro uh, after he left BYU and played for Andy Reid and knows him well. We'll talk with Chad coming up at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Have we ever talked to John on the air? No, no, and I've got questions. Is he there? I'm here. Hey, John, how are hey, you? Hey, John. I'm good. How are you guys? Uh, John, yeah. while we have you. No, no. We've had a, uh-huh. a, a long back and forth about a pitchfork incident. I want to know the details of my buddy here and your brother running a pitchfork through you. <laughs> we were out working and, you know, cleaning our ends or whatever you want to call it. And uh, he thought that he was like King Triton and he uh, threw that pitchfork and uh, oh! exactly <laughs> threw it up. He right on the mark and put it right underneath the kneecap. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, and I killed a guy with a trident. Hanson Scotting, weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. The best blanket ever is also the best gift for Valentine's Day. Get 30% off right now in any regularly priced blankets with the code word WELCOME30 at minkycouture.com. Take care of that Valentine's gift today by visiting a location near you in Ogden, Leighton, Draper, Orm, Sugar House, or St. George. That's Minky Couture and Valentine's Day. Check them out at minkycouture.com. Jazz and the Atlanta Hawks coming up tonight. Atlanta played Dallas last night, got beat. Jazz played Atlanta at home uh, a while ago and won it comfortably. And uh, as you recall, PK Trey Young came off a 1 for 11 performance in that game. And just as I would not expect John Collins to back up his 30, what was it, 35 and 12? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yes, 35.12 rebound performance last night. I also wouldn't expect Trey Young to go one for 11 again. No. He's too good a player to put up another one for 11. But I feel like Quinn, and he says this over and over, now we hear Joe saying it over and over, I feel like they've prepped and kind of um, been priming guys for this with the constant, hey, Every NBA team has good players, you know, and, and you ran down the roster earlier, the Hawks, well, we know Gallinari – we know Gallinari can play. We know we know Trey Young is a is a young star. How how high he can rise, you know, that's a question. But he's already you know thrilling people. Collins looks decent. Gallinari looks decent. They got Clint Capella. Jazz fans remember him from the playoff series with the Rockets. So they got they got some sweet players. Lou Hudson. Don't forget him. Sweet Lou Hudson. Time to bring in Craig Bullerjack. His weekly interview is presented by University of Utah Health, trusted healthcare provider. For the Utah Jazz family and yours, Bowler, good morning. Hello, you two. How are you? Good. 
Good. So we were talking about uh, I I said something and PK quickly jumped me because he thought I was uh, too um, too optimistic, too willing to take for granted a Jazz win tonight, too confident, some combination of all those things. But I think the reason is because I think this team is better and is different than last year's team or the team two years ago. And so while they certainly could lose tonight, I think they're much less vulnerable to it. Now, I may have to come in and explain this comment tomorrow morning. I get that. But I think the reason that they're battling uh, you know, with, with the Lakers and Clippers to the top three spots in the West and not with the Spurs and the Nuggets and the Suns for four, five, six, seven which is what they were battling for in that group the last couple of years, is because they are better and, and more likely to win a game like this one. Reaction. Well, well, first, I mean, you two argue. I mean, that's that never happens. away. Never happens. Yeah, never. <laughs> I mean, you guys are peacemakers. Come on. Um, you know, I, I think the thing about this team that intrigues me the most is that they've taken on what the Western Conference has become, and that three-point shooters, and they're really good at it. So, What I'm feeling is that there's never really a time that the Jazz panic because they have the ability, uh, in their minds, by the way, their confidence uh, in their three-point shooting that they may fall behind, but they don't panic and they have the ability to always mount a comeback. I heard what you said before we jumped on the air about, you know, every team in this league has the ability to win on any given night. I don't care what their record is. And look what Detroit did a few nights ago, you know, battling back from 28 down at home, you know, in Salt Lake City and really pushing the Jazz, you know, to the end until, you know, Boogie knocked down a couple of threes to to, to, to secure the win. But uh, I still think the Jazz have this really interesting perspective of, uh, and it goes with Coach Quinn Snyder. I mean, there's always that cliche of, you know, a team reflects the personality of a coach. In some ways, it's true, but um, I don't think there's a lot of panic. I think they feel more confident uh, with who they are, what their capabilities are, and the depth of their talent. That's that's what I'm starting to learn, you know, now 21 games in, going on the three-game road trip. And these all three of these games are winnable, but – also heard what you said about you know, Atlanta. There's some talent on this team. I don't think Trey Young's going one for eleven and having a career four point, you know, career low four point game again, um, unless the defense is stifling, uh, which it, it was in Salt Lake. But yeah, the, the Atlanta Hawks have some talent. Uh, there's no doubt. I like Capella. Always have, and you know they got a guy named Rajon Rondo who. On some nights he's engaged, and some nights he's not. But still, he's been around, and he's a veteran, and he knows you know how to play this game. But I don't know. This this will be a really good telling road trip back east again. Atlanta, Charlotte, Indiana. Those three teams are you know kind of hovering about under five hundred or about five hundred or under. So there's opportunity here again for the Jazz to uh, to win three three more road games. But they have to play and be consistent, no doubt. So you got to like where this is going, and right now they're right in the thick of things with the two L.A. teams. Denver is still in the race, coming up on the outside to an extent. My thought for you is projecting, is this team good enough to have the best record in the West? Oh, PK. Um, you know, again, 20, <laughs> 21 games is, is a really good sample size. We always talked about the 20, the 20 games. We've hit it, and I, I think you have to believe – 
that they can't fight with the best. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think this is uh, just an anomaly that's happened. I mean, 11 straight wins to, to is tough anywhere you go. I don't care if it's junior jazz or, or the NBA. I mean, it's, you know, to win 11 in a row is quite an achievement. Yeah, you got knocked off the rails in Denver and then you had to, you know, regroup and, you know, and get the win in, you know, against Detroit. And that was almost like probably another even though you're home, probably felt like a road game because you're heading out again. But it's going to be this way all year. But to answer your questions, I don't see why not. Um, look, LeBron stands on his own merit, right? And Kawhi is a champion uh, with Toronto. Um, I, I still think this team, the Jazz, have a totally different mix of how they approach this. And you have the Donovans and you have the Rudys, but you also just have this incredible concept of just getting it done and they've got multiple players that shoot over 40% from three. And, you know, some nights you're going to be off, but I think most of the time this team's pretty consistent thus far. So, yeah, I think to answer your question, not to get crazy, I mean, we still got a long ways to go, but I think they have every right, every ability to fight for the top uh, of the Western Conference. Um, you know, the one thing that always jumps in my mind is, you know, through this course of this season of 72, can you stay healthy? Uh, can Rudy stay on the floor, be a defensive presence? They do have faves. Obviously, Jordan Clarkson's having an outstanding start and is uh, by far um, you know, the, the front runner for sixth man of the year. This guy's unreal. He's playing as confident as anybody I've seen, and he's been given you know, the ability to, to show his talents and uh, it's just an interesting team, to, a fun team, PK, to watch, right? I mean, it really is. There's a lot of weapons and a lot of different ways that they attack defenses, and Quinn has a lot of different uh, players and combinations that he can put on the floor. Craig Bolajak joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We know the strengths of the team. You've already outlined some, right? The, the three-point shooting. <laughs> they got seven different guys who can hit threes at a high rate. And Rudy's anchoring the defense. And they, what, is the, what is the Achilles heel, you think? When teams look at the Jazz, what do you think? This is, this is how we need to go with them if we're going to have a chance to win this. First thing that hits my mind right now is physicality. Be physical with them, and will they answer back? I really, I think that is the Achilles. Um, will they respond to an early punch, uh, especially on the road? And I, I believe that's you know something that they they were able to handle in the eleven game win streak. But in some of these losses, and there's only you know been five. Um, that and, and they've had to fight through this, even in the wins, is will you be physical? Do they bump you off your spot? Do they come out and double on the three-point line? And how are you going to respond? I mean, I've heard Quinn say that, and we've talked about it, he and I, several times um, on the beautiful Zoom calls. But um, I think that is the, the part. How physical will the Jazz be, and how will they respond, PK? I really believe that that would be the challenge for the remainder of this year is teams see them as maybe being, and uh, gosh, the word intimidate is tough, but that you can shake them. Uh, you can get them off their rhythm if you become a f- more physical, and that, I believe, is something the Jazz are going to have to uh, to fight through and figure out. I don't know who would come at the expense of, but does Royce O'Neal deserve a bigger part in the offense? 
You know, I think what he's doing fits what his role is. Um, um, boy, that's that's no one's ever asked that question, PK. But you know, I think he takes the shots that he needs, and what he's doing right now is you know ripping the three as well as anybody uh, in the NBA. Um, you know, I, I think he's comfortable in the role. I mean, I, I think what his role is actually is to be the defender. He is to be the tough guy. He's supposed to put the chest, uh, go chest to chest with some of the best, um, you know, shooters, players of the other, other uh, of the opponent. And I think what happens is you just get almost a bonus for Royce O'Neal is his ability to, to hit the outside three. And on occasion, you know, run the floor and finish at the rim. I mean, I like what he's doing. He's having a great year. Uh, his rebounding is out of sight. I mean, he's, he's, you know what it is? He's the most aggressive guy on the floor at times. You know, Rudy and him have to battle for rebounds, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gobert's been claiming, what, 13-plus a night, and, and, and Royce is down there battling for everything he can get. I think the Jazz, when they're really on, they also do the second effort. Uh, where they're digging for for loose basketballs and they're kind of following Mike Conley's lead when he's been able to jump on the floor. Those are things that Quinn Snyder you have to have. Uh, the teams want they're hungry, and I kind of get the feeling the Jazz are at that level. You know, this year after getting knocked out, you know, by Denver in that uh, series that we know so well at three one, lose it four three, and what Donovan said never again. So that that sounds you know. A little cliche-ish, sure, but also I think it's uh, they're playing playing it out. They they want to go to the next level, and that's really um, for me, and I think for any Jazz fan who's been watching this team, there's talent there, but also the attitude of saying we're we are going to win, and that maybe is the next step they've taken. So Donovan Mitchell's averaging 23 points a game, and you bring up that series in the bubble. We saw those 50-point games, and no one's going to do that routinely, and no one's going right. to average 35 points or 36 points a game, whatever it was. But did you expect a little more out of him, or do you think you expected more early in the season, but now he's giving it to you, and the season averages will go where they go? Do you want to still see him take the game by the throat, or, or that's not how the Jazz play, that's old-school thinking, let the game, you know, find itself and all that stuff. And the open guy will take the shot to be the best they can be. How does that have to play out? Well, everyone, including Shaq, wants Donovan to become more involved, right, as a rebounder and an assist man. That's what uh, he said. And, you know, when you really break it down, Donovan has a role. And, you know, he's he's also baits guys to double him to help mm-hmm. open up other players on this team that allows them to hit shots. But, you know, you look at his numbers still, you're 21 games in, he's had 14 games of 20-plus and four games of 30 or more. And I think he's actually gotten a, a better this year. He's 24. Look, we, we, can, we can break down his game all you want, but I still think, you know, this guy is special. And um, he's going to get better, I think, as the season progresses. The concussion knocked him, you know, off uh, out of two games, and he looked really cloudy, uh, you know, the other night against Denver. But you know, he played pretty well against Detroit. Uh, but I think consistency, DJ, to answer your question, I think that's from first quarter to fourth is where I'm looking. You know, we know him as the fourth, you know, the second half Donovan. He's going to lift, you know, the Jazz to a win, and then he lets teammates get involved to start games. But I don't see any reason why he can't start games and finish games just like 
you know, one through four and be as consistent as he was from the opening tip to the to the end of the game. So I think there's still things he's figuring out. There's a lot of pressure on the guy. There's no doubt. But a lot of fans don't have patience. You know, it's like, hey, look, you're well paid. You're an all-star. Go get it done. And I still think he's a special player, special talents uh, that's going to just get better as time continues on. We forget that he's just barely into his fourth year. And I think that's something you still have to to remember. But he's made big strides every year he's been on been on the floor. And I, I like his game. I really do. So is Sunday the one day of the season that you're glad you're not traveling because you can call the game <laughs> and then go home and watch the Super Bowl and you're a Kansas City boy and the Chiefs are trying to go for number two? Yeah, PK, that's the craziest schedule, isn't it? 11 a.m. That's what the NBA gave us, 11 a.m. Mountain Time tip-off against the Pacers. And then Super Bowl uh, 55 is at 4.30. So, yes, it's a double-dip day. Uh, you get to call a jazz game, get to home, go home and see the Tom Brady battle uh, with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's – you know, if, if, you're, if you're writing a script, this is a pretty good one, don't you think, guys? Sure. I mean, you get old versus new – already an MVP in Mahomes, and you already have the uh, the GOAT, as many believe, in Tom Brady. And he just said the other day, PK, um, I'm going to, after the Super Bowl, I'm going to get ready for the next season. He's going to play past 45. I mean, it's really, his mindset, man, is, is really amazing. I don't know if he would win, if that would change. It's a write-off in the sunset. But he seems like he's totally not done and wants to continue on. Um you know, it's it's, you know, I thought Peyton Manning played and you know had the perfect send off, uh, but Tom Brady just uh, wants to keep playing this game that he loves. I don't think it's the money, is it? I don't know. Maybe it's the spotlight he loves, but it's an amazing thing to see him keep going. But he's at a high level, so I guess he says to himself, "Why not?" But this is going to be a fun game. I'm 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 tuned in, man. You got two great tight ends, you got some weapons, but I still think the Chiefs have the better speed and a better mobile quarterback. But Tom Brady has the experience, but. but you know, I got an MVP and Patrick Mahomes too, right? So, yeah, this is gonna be fun. Be fun, fun game. So, <clears throat> Brady's won six Super Bowls, and the reason he doesn't have seven or eight of those two giant games, uh, I guess there was one with the Eagles too. But in the two games with the Giants, the Giants won low-scoring games. And if looking back, you know, what did we all underestimate going into it? We underestimated how good the Giants' front four was, that their front four against the Patriots' five offensive linemen and possibly tight end and running back, they could still get to Brady. Yeah. And it changed the game, right? Because now you got seven guys back defending um, the pass because four guys can get the pressure. And I'm wondering, the Bucks' defense seems to be making more plays and have taken their, you know, gone to another level here in the postseason. Are they, with a four-man rush, going to be able to beat the Chiefs O-line? Because the Chiefs just lost their left tackle. They, and they lost their right really? tackle earlier, and they've had other guys moving around and in and out. We don't need to get to all that. But the, we all know the left tackle, that is critical. So how worried are you that the front four for the Bucks that with four guys rushing, they can get to Mahomes? Mahomes is more mobile and can run and can beat you with big plays. We've seen that with his legs if he has to. How worried are you? Well, that's the key right there compared to two quarterbacks. Brady is between the tackles, and he has to step up in the pocket. So what you do is you try to blitz him up the middle. Or if he tries to even go outside the edge, you've already caught him. So I think that's really going to be part of the whole equation for the Chiefs' defense is to pressure the 
the legs of, of Tom Brady and, and push him out of his comfort zone. It, it's a must, by the way, because you give him too much time. Any quarterback can help, you know, pretty much pick you apart. To your question about Mahomes, I think you just said it. I feel his mobility will be his best asset on Sunday. Uh, the left tackle, Achilles out, that's your protection side, but yet Mahomes is able to, to roll and get out of trouble. I tell you, I, we haven't seen a quarterback with great, you know, this type of escapability and also working with us with Tyreek Hill and, and Kelsey. Uh, they seem to understand him and come back to help him on routes. And then he's able to sidearm and slingshot, you know, passes downfield and just escape, especially crucial third downs. And that's where you win ball games. Again, if they if they pressure Brady, he makes a mistake, and the Chiefs take advantage. And the same with the with Mahomes. If they get to him and he throws a pick or fumbles a ball, usually games are won and lost in the in the uh, turnover department. So that's what I'm looking for. Mahomes mobility, get outside the tackle, you know, take the pressure off the O line. And the Chiefs D is the pressure. I'll call him the old man, Tom Brady, who's crafty as can be, but still not not a guy built to play outside the tackles. And if you trap him uh, and then you force him to make mistakes, I think is going to be part of the uh, the equation for uh, for the Chiefs to win another Super Bowl. And it's tough, right, uh, to win back to back. Most I think I read yesterday, you know. Statistically, it's it's rare you win back-to-back Super Bowls, even if you get there. Jordan won multiple games, multiple back-to-back NBA titles, but uh, the NFL, it looks like uh, it's it's hard to win too. And even to get there is quite a it's quite an achievement. You have to admit. And I got to give Brady all the credit in the world. He comes from New England, takes on a new team, new coach, new system. Had a rough start, by the way, and he still got the Bucks to the to the big game. That's 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 an amazing feat for me, all by itself. Compliment him before you beat him, Bowler. That's your strategy. I see it. I see it well, working. I just say pressure the guy, make him make a mistake, and let Mahomes run free, man. And, and you got, I think, I think Kansas City DJ is a much quicker, faster team. And so you use your speed. That's what they did all year long. Use your speed to win. And if it doesn't work out, then at least you got there. And the uh, and Tom Brady beat you, but it should be. I I don't want to say epic, but I love the matchup and the storyline. Man, is is fantastic for Super Bowl Fifty Five. It and really you, is. And you love that you won't be on a plane headed for Indiana when the game is played. Thank- yeah, or coming, yeah, coming home. Yeah, I'd have to listen to oh, yeah. people say, "Oh gosh, you missed it," something like that. Yeah. So. Thanks, Bowler. All right, guys. See you soon. Yeah, headed out of Indiana, not into, obviously. He'll be playing the Pacers that morning. DJ and PK, we had to take a break. Chad Lewis is coming up to talk Super Bowl. Former Philadelphia Eagle, played for Andy Reid. He's going to join us in 15 minutes right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Executive Vice President of Basketball Operations for the Utah Jazz, Dennis Lindsay with us. Dennis, we thought you're going to be in a pretty good mood jumping on the show today. Your team's playing great. Yeah, they've come together and we're pleased with the results thus far. We've got a lot of work to do. We're only at the quarter pole, but uh, we've defended well. We got back to a previous Jazz level and Quinn has designed a really unique offense based upon spacing and shooting and sharing the ball when a guy's really believe in the system that Hughes developed. What we promise is we'll just continue to work hard and be humble and honest with ourselves, and hopefully we can make a good account for the season. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7, presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. 
Join the big show Friday from 2 to 6 at the Warehouse, 1825 South, 300 West in Salt Lake City. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom! Oh, man, we've been talking football all morning. I'm so fired up. You guys fired up? No, not really. No. Not as fired up as you It's Thursday. The game's Sunday night. Pace yourself. Uh, well, I'm talking college football, even. Oh, okay. Now I'm fired. I've never never paced myself at all. <laughs> That's not full true. steam, and then you burn out. You burn out. Uh, better to burn out than to fade away, anyway. And so, since you know we were talking about college football earlier, yes, and harken me back, you know, with the Utes, and harken me back to my days at Arizona State, and you know, I would the weekend would approach usually by Thursday morning. You know, I had three or four dates set up for the weekend, and then we would get to Sunday night, and I would look back. And it was funny because all the dates that I would go on, I would go on multiple in a given day. And by Sunday night, when I reflect back as to how they went, consistently for all my days at Arizona State, when I would take the ladies out, I would get the same response. And it would be two simple words, and here's what they were. Oh, PK. (laughs) All of that to get to there, huh? <laughs> Damn straight. It's amazing. Every time. What would they say, Yock? Oh, PK. <laughs> Yock is so he's so punch drunk in there. Well, it's just you're now said, applauding yourself. He sent a text and he's like he sent a text and he said, Hey, pull that and it's pretty dang good. Oh, PK. <laughs> he is in there literally applauding the drop. And his head's kind of rolling around, and the eyes aren't pointing in the same direction. Because <laughs> it freaking works. It's radio gold, and you're benefiting from it, so shut the hell up. Oh, PK. <laughs> I mean, and we know what showgirls would say, Yaw. Combine them, the two. <laughs> PK, take it off, baby. Oh, PK. And they com- <laughs> Be quiet. He got it. Even in his sleep-deprived state, he got it. Okay, do it again and I won't talk. Oh, PK. PK, take it off, baby. It's supposed to be in the other order, dude. <laughs> PK, take it off, baby. Oh, PK. <laughs> oh man <laughs> I'm getting paid for this <laughs> what would your sister say what would your mother say <laughs> I don't know about my mother it'd probably be an obscenity probably. <laughs> my sisters obviously they're much older than me so uh, they've been around my whole life and they would probably say, yep, that was the little sarcastic you-know-what. <laughs> my, my one sister uh, got me a little patch. <laughs> it says, uh, uh, smart bleep white boy. <laughs> uh, and I have that patch, when I and, and I display it with pride. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I mean, that, that, what can I say? You know, that's what the ladies, what would the ladies oh, say? Oh, huh? PK. <laughs> oh, 
Buller probably regrets ever uttering those two words. I thought you were going to say coming on the show, but... Well, that too. <laughs> Did he kind of say it almost like erotically? Listen to it closely. Oh, PK. <laughs> Oh, brother. <laughs> now, break it down for us, DJ. What, what about football? Student body right. Student body right. Gap. <laughs> oh, PK. Chad Lewis is coming up next. Former BYU and Philadelphia Eagle tight end. Played for Andy Reid. And now Andy Reid on the verge of winning back-to-back Super Bowls. We'll talk with Chad next. Stay with us. Valentine's Day is not far away, and flowers make the perfect gift. Jimmy's Flowers, a longtime partner with The Zone, can make it easy by visiting them at jimmysflowers.com. Remember, Valentine's is on Sunday this year. Jimmy's Flowers, check them out at jimmysflowers.com. Time to welcome in Chad Lewis, former BYU and Philadelphia Eagle. Chad, good morning. Yo, what's up? It's always good to talk to you guys. What's up? (laughs) The Eagles and the Chiefs are up. Well, they're not the Eagles. Yeah, oh, come on. All the Eagles are on board with the Chiefs, right? It's the Eagles and the Chiefs in the Super Bowl versus the Bucks. Yeah, not only is it the Eagles and the Chiefs, but it's also the Bucks and Tom Brady. So, so it's the Bucks in our and the Super Bowl in Jacksonville, it was Tom Brady and the Patriots who got us. So um, that just means uh, it's more special. I mean, you're going up against the greatest quarterback in the history of the game, a guy who's now in his 10th. Super Bowl. I've I played nine seasons in the NFL, and he's going to ten Super Bowls. It's it's incredible. So yeah, this is a big game. It's really fun. With Andy Reid taking the Chiefs to the Super Bowl for the second time, and what I think it's his third time, and obviously he's had incredible success in KC. There's a lot of stuff being written and said about him. And this past week here, I've been trying to read as much as I can. <clears throat> One yep. of the things that really caught my eye was his coaching style and you obviously know him played for him and you've been around and you can speak to different coaching styles and the quote that really jumped out me jumped out at me i think we all want to be treated a certain way uh talking about how you know how would i want to be treated and we think of coaches mike ditka screaming at guys on the sideline and all that stuff uh what do you think of the coaching style that andy reed has compared to all the different coaches. Now, you played for Lavelle Edwards, so it might actually be in the same type of style, but it seems that his style seems to work with these guys. That is absolutely right. That's, he, he learned his style and his culture from Lavelle. He honed it in with other coaches, especially Mike Holmgren at Green Bay. But that's what he's most comfortable with. When he says that, he means it. He lives it. That's who he is. That's why... Last year when he was getting ready to win that Super Bowl, you just felt like the entire NFL was happy for him, supportive, behind him. It was really cool. And because he lives it. I like people focusing on that part of his coaching ability because he's not a screamer. And he feels like he can get his point across just with every bit as much power as a screamer by doing it his way, and he can And the thing that hasn't been written that I think is 
every bit is important. Something that you will see Sunday night, and it's it's that Andy and his wife Tammy are a package deal, just like Lavelle and Patty. You never saw Lavelle, we didn't, without Patty. She was there. She was present. Well, that's the same thing with Andy. He works unbelievable hours, but he has made this profession a package deal. So post-game interview, who's going to be right by his side? His greatest teammate and partner, Tammy. And that's the way he wants it. That's how he's created it. And that's where he draws his strength and power. And he's never lost that. He's never lost sight of it. He's 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 been able to make it work with Tammy right there with him. She she would travel with us to games, um, and she loves following him. She loves being a supporter. She jokes that she's the head coach of the head coach, and I just have this ultimate respect for Andy because he's in this profession, head coach in the NFL, Super Bowl champ. He's done it, like Lavelle, a package deal with his wife. That's really cool. You know, people, I've, I've never met Andy, but obviously lots of BYU people have. They all like him. They all respect him. They all seem fiercely loyal to him. But sometimes when you're in the presence of greatness. Okay, you have got to meet Andy Reid. What are we waiting for? Hey, <laughs> anytime, anytime. Oh, please. I'd, I'd love to. You've got the credentials. That gives you the authority to meet anyone you want on planet Earth. <laughs> Set up a time. You have to meet Andy. That, that'd be great. I'm, I'm totally, I'd love to talk to Andy Reid. There's a gazillion things to ask the guy. It's so interesting. But I think sometimes when greatness is right in front of you, it doesn't register because you literally know the person and they seem like any other person because at the end we're all people and you know no matter how successful you are at this you know very job with a lot of popularity and celebrity surrounding it but he is uh he's going to be the 12th coach to coach in three super bowls he's going to be the if he wins he'll be the seventh to go back to back and next season he should pass curly lambeau for uh career wins and be fifth I and mean, we're talking about an all-time all-timer only belichick among active coaches will have anything like that for resume. This is incredible, but it feels like it doesn't get talked about enough. He is at the top of all these lists. One of the reasons it doesn't get talked about enough is he's not driving it. He's not a self-promoter. He's, he, he's grateful about life. He's grateful to have his job. He loves it. He's grateful that people think highly of him. But he's not going to be promoting either silently or behind the scenes his own, you know, promotion. He's just he's just a cool guy. He's down to earth. He's real. If you talk to any of his friends, they're like, that, that's just Andy. He's the best. Like, he's, he's incredible. So, um, order of business. You have got to get a one-on-one interview with Andy Reid. Whether you fly out there to Kansas City and do it or you do it on the radio, you, you've got – while he's still in the present coaching, you got to interview him. He, he's the best. So, really, when we think of Andy Reid, is the only flaw of his that he's good friends with Kyle Whittingham? <laughs> he loves Kyle. I mean, he's loyal to his teammates. Um, he loves people. He loves people more than more than. He he just loves people. He's not afraid of crossing boundaries or colors to reach out to people. He's he's just true. I mean, and he would tell you he's got more flaws than 
he can shake a stick at. He does, he does not pretend like he's the greatest coach, the greatest person. He just is. He's, he's the best. So you look at this game, and the Chiefs trying to go back-to-back here, but they just lost their left tackle to an Achilles injury in the AFC title game. Is their O-line going to be able to handle the Bucks' front four? That's a great question. One of the reasons that Tom Brady chose the Bucks when he had um, you know, half the teams in the NFL to choose last year is because they had a Super Bowl-caliber defense. So you have a super, now they are a Super Bowl caliber defense, and they've been wreaking havoc. Their front four can get pressure. What's been interesting with their playoff games against the Saints and um, is they put enormous pressure on the back end, but they haven't received any penalties. You saw them against Green Bay and the Saints, where they were they were passing and fearing, pulling receivers as the ball was coming, and there was no call made. If you can get away with that in the Super Bowl, you win. But if the refs call those, that neutralizes that great front four. And so it'll be interesting to see the combination of the calls on the back end and how, how much pressure the front four can give Mahomes. So, and now you got these tackles that are out. That's, those are big losses. But and always, always coached with a mentality that, hey, we're strong as a team. And when someone goes down, we don't make a big deal of it, even if it was Donovan and Coy Detmer stepped in, ripped the 49ers on Monday Night Football, and he dislocated his elbow in that game. And then A.J. Feely stepped in out of nowhere, and we went on a tear. We, we beat great teams, and I think he won about six games at the end of that year as the third-string quarterback. And Andy did not make a big deal of it in meetings, personally, he just said, hey, we got good players. They're going to be fine. And he's, he's able to inspire your team with confidence and get you thinking that I'm going to play better. I'm not going to do anything out of, my, out of my business. I'm going to do my job. But I'm going to do it to the best of my ability so I can help my, my teammates. And that he fosters that culture. That's a special culture in the NFL. Yeah, you speak of that culture, to me, being around, I haven't been around a lot of pro teams, but most of my time, and as far as NFL goes, I've been around pro teams and other sports, uh, but certainly I've been around a ton of college teams, and the one thing that I've noticed is the players have to really buy in to what the coaching, the head coach and his staff are selling, and if they don't, it doesn't matter how great that coach is. If they don't buy into what he's saying and believe in it, then it seems like they're just not going to be good. How important is that that these players, whatever the situation is, when the coaches say something, that they believe that that's the truth? I would answer that with two things. Number one, you're exactly right. You have to buy in. A team creates enormous team chemistry by buying in. That's the first part. The second part is, if you're buying into snake oil, it doesn't matter if you're all – like you could be completely heart and soul bought in. But if the product is a bunch of hocus-pocus BS, then it doesn't matter. So what is actually beneficial to the Chiefs is that what Coach Reed is sharing and promoting and teaching is legit. It's proven. It's, it's great team culture. So when people are all in and they're bought into what he's saying, 
it's legit. And that's why there's so much strength and power. That's why you have a coaching tree similar to Bill Walsh. He's been able to create a coaching culture where you have so many coaches, Ron Rivera's, I mean, like Steve Spagnuolo's. You can go down the line of great people who he's worked with who are now head coaches. Dave Coley, the new head coach of the Houston Texans. Those guys are products of Andy Reid and the way he's done it for years. And that's gratifying. As a former player, it's really cool to see. So Andy's awesome, but nobody's perfect. So if I had to go one thing, why is he running Mahomes on an option on third and one at midfield? I mean, at the one-yard line for a playoff touchdown, maybe it's worth the risk. But third and one at midfield? Ah! Because <laughs> who thought he was going to do that? I don't know. I think he's nearly perfect because they're going into the Super Bowl with three BYU guys. you got Andy Reid. You got Danny Sorensen, and then you got the silent assassin Porter Ellett, who is Andy Reid's left-hand man. He lost his right arm in an accident when he was four years old. One of the greatest dudes around. So, if you got three BYU dudes going in the Super Bowl, then that's who I'm following. <laughs> All right. Speaking of BYU dudes, Cougars put together a pretty good season, but the objective is to have a good program, not to have a good season. Uh, what are you thinking as far as them? I don't know that they could sustain it to that level because they're going to lose an NFL quarterback, but how are they going to be able to keep it going at a high level? Yeah, great question. I love what happened this year. I love Kalani, not only as a former teammate of mine, but what he's done at BYU, the influence he's had on these guys, the way he coaches his style. He's you can see each year he's getting more and more comfortable in his own skin as a coach, knowing what drives him. Um, I love the way that he and Tom Homo work together. This season was magical when everyone else, not everyone, when a great portion of the football world was ready to quit because of COVID. It was powerful to me to see Tom go over around under any obstacle, any nose. He didn't waste his time with dialogue with people who didn't want to play. He just said, let's keep finding people who are willing to play. And that relentless pursuit of a schedule and the relentless pursuit of doing it right, protecting guys with COVID, proving that we can do it appropriately um, but still have a season. I think if Zach Wilson's going to be a, a top five pick in the NFL, he's got – Tom and Kalani for the rest of his life to say, thank you for doing everything you could to give me an opportunity to have a season like that. Um, I just thought it was remarkable. So where you go from here, you build off of this season. You build off of the confidence your, your guys have. You build off of what's making you a good coach. I, I think what – Kalani does really well. He focuses on his strengths. He doesn't try and be anyone else. And each year I feel like he's getting better at that. And when you do that, then you build a really strong culture and program and a confidence that you're doing it the right way. And it's been, it's been cool to watch and I'm really pumped to see it go forward because next year we have a tough schedule. We hope like crazy that things with COVID calm down enough that there's fans in the stands and sports are just meant to play in front of a live audience, a full live audience with, with adrenaline pumping, people screaming. 
um, that's what I'm hoping for. So we were discussing the um, transfer portal and how not five years ago, but even since two or three years ago, it's it's changed. The number of kids going there, the whole thing just seems to be accelerating. How is the portal going to change BYU football? How could it help the Cougars acquire players? How could it cost them players? What do you think the impact is going to be going forward? The M- impact will be enormous on every program. And uh, change is not only inevitable, we're living in the time of greatest change. This, this year taught us more about change than any other year in our lives. Can we adapt? Yeah. Do we have to adapt? Well, if you want to be successful, you do. And Or you could sit like an old broadcaster and talk about walking to school in four feet of snow both ways, and no one wants to listen to that. That's bullcrap. So... The transfer portal's a big change. The people who can get most comfortable with how that works for them, the people that who can wisely select players that fit their program and their culture, there's a delicate balance in who you want to bring in, and it takes wisdom, perspective, sometimes restraint. You're going to have your whole fan base clamoring for someone. If you know that someone doesn't fit your team for whatever reason, then you have to be strong enough and confident enough in your decision-making skills to stand on your own two feet. And so I really like and trust the way that Kalani operates and thinks. And I like his wisdom. I like how he's growing as a coach and a man and, um, it'll be cool to see how he he works with with Tom to use players that are coming into availability through the transfer portal to strengthen BYU's program. So you work in the BYU athletic department, and I know there's a big BYU fan who now owns the Jazz in Ryan Smith, and I'm assuming you've had some interaction with Mr. Smith. Can you tell us what you know about him? Ryan has been unbelievable for BYU. Publicly, privately, he's, he's a great asset to the program, to the players, to the coaches. He's made himself available. He had a really cool Zoom conference with our entire athletic department early on in the COVID and shared what he was learning running Qualtrics in a time of the greatest chaos. And he loves people. He loves sports. He specifically loves basketball and golf. And I think it's so cool that he's – he is the owner of the jazz to keep the jazz here in Utah. He's, he's dedicated and driven to be a champion. Um, you see his influence with Donovan and the other players, like he is going to be the greatest supporter for them. And he's got a burning fire in his heart, just like they do. It'll be really cool to see him win a championship here in Utah. And, and I'm super grateful that he's been so cool to BYU, not just him, but his whole family. They, and not just BYU, they support other schools, but I just am very grateful for his influence here and what he's done and what he, can, what he wants to keep doing. It's really cool. 
Well, Chad, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. That was a lot of ground to cover right there. Transfer portal to a new jazz owner to Super Bowl to Andy Reid. I think you got it all. The only thing I didn't get was how grateful I am for Cougar Nation responding to our all-in campaign. Tom Homo let people know a couple months ago that because of COVID, we have a $20 million shortfall. He was very transparent and open and said, you know, Cougar Nation, if you love BYU sports, this is our time of greatest need. People have responded. They've they've donated almost $15 million. There's been 7,000 different individual donors give back. And I just want to say to all of them, we are so grateful for you for caring and just can't, I just can't be more grateful. Thank you. Good to pare that down from 20 to 5 million. That's progress right there. That's progress. And it goes on and just, you know, some teams, they haven't got the bottom yet. They're still in a free fall and their free fall is enormous. Tom's goal was to staunch the bleeding, to stop the hemorrhaging, to get to a place where we knew we had a bottom so we could start clawing back out and, and get strong and move forward. And he's been remarkable with his communication through COVID. He's, he's been relentless reaching out to all of us as administrators, as coaches. He's been reaching out to players. When times are really tough, if you're a great communicator, then you can strengthen your team. He has certainly done that. And, and I'm, it's been impressive to watch. I'm grateful for his leadership. Chad, thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Yeah, hit it. Enjoy the Super Bowl, and we'll talk afterwards. And Dave, let's get you that interview with Tom, with uh, Andy Reid. I'm up for it. I'm up for it. Thanks, Chad. Peace. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Everything you missed in this show coming up next. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, the Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I think people are reluctant to buy into Taysom as a quarterback. They can't be reluctant to buy into him as, as, as an asset right, right. player. Like if we put him out there for trade, we would have 31 other teams with interest. People are just hesitant because we all are hesitant to not knowing what we've seen so far, you know, and and so he's relatively new as a quarterback. That's Sean Payton, New Orleans Saints head coach. Did a podcast, talked about the future of the quarterback position with the Saints. He also said Drew Brees' future should – uh, there should be an announcement in the next week or two. I think we all assume that'll be retirement. He said he hopes Jameis Winston will re-sign. You know, Sean Payton's got a really good rep for working with quarterbacks, PK, and not just yes. because of Bru- of Breeze. You know, Breeze went down last year, and they worked with Bridgewater, and they went undefeated. I think it was 5-0 and with him. And then Taysom Hill plays four games and goes 3-1. and Correct me if I'm off on my numbers, but I think he went 3-1. and Yak is nodding, right? So he's 8-1 and with backup quarterbacks. And what Peyton doesn't say there is who he thinks is going to win the job. <laughs> he was careful. There's nothing there you can go back and say, aha, gotcha. There's none of that, you know. And, and Winston, you know, in a quarterback derby, 
especially if Peyton's coaching him up here. Like Winston's already a playmaker. You don't throw 30 touchdown passes in the NFL and not be a playmaker. The problem is eliminating the negative plays. And if he does that, that 30-30 season, baby. Right. And if he but if he does that, if that 30 turn if that 30 picks turns into 10 picks, then he can start for a lot of NFL teams. I mean, not every NFL team because other guys have, you know, Hall of Fame quarterbacks in place, but he can start for a lot of them. So it'll be interesting to see. It's, it's interesting what Sean said there, what he chose to say and what he chose not to say because clearly he knows more than he let on. Well, I don't think he can say anything about Winston because I think Winston is not under contract anymore. Right, he's so, not. Yeah. Uh, he has to be careful on what he says because Winston could take off. I don't even know that he's going to be there. Now for Taysom Hill and everybody here for BYU wants Taysom Hill to be the quarterback and they want him to be a great quarterback and all that stuff, a la McMahon and Steve Young. I mean, obviously they love Taysom Hill for good reason. And obviously Taysom wants to be the starting quarterback. But the good thing for Taysom is if he doesn't win the starting quarterback, he's not going to be standing there with a ball cap and a clipboard. He's going to be out on the field in all of his assorted roles. So at least, uh, I don't know if that's a consolation prize, but at least he knows, hey, I'm going to play. I'm not just going to stand here and wait for an injury or ineffective play. I'm going to be out on the field doing stuff. And I think that can get him at least some form of excitement. I am an NFL player, and I am playing every Sunday. There's something to be said for that, and he's being paid extremely well. So you combine all those things. Even, um, Even if he doesn't win the job, he still has a lot to look forward to. So the college basketball schedule tonight is a busy one. The youths are playing Arizona at 5 o'clock at the Huntsman Center. You can watch that on uh, FS1. BYU's at Portland, 5 o'clock. You can see that on KJAZ and Stadium Network. The Aggies are playing Fresno State at 7 o'clock. That'll follow on KJAZ and Stadium Network right after the BYU game. And the Jazz are on TV at 5.30, so that's... Too much basketball all at once to possibly absorb, PK? <laughs> I know. That's kind of funny that it's all within a half hour of each other. The Aggies are a little bit later. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Boy. But the other guys all playing right there at the same time. Now, I think for me, uh, it'll be hard to focus on three games basically going on at the same time. As I break it down, I think the Jazz are always number one, unless we get to the NCAA tournament you know, or the conference tournament at that time. To- Point, or maybe the Gonzaga, like it was last year, uh, was a huge game. We know that. And they moved the Gonzaga game up to Monday for the Cougars are going to play Monday night. But as I handicap these games, I think my least interest would be BYU and Portland because Portland stinks. <laughs> so uh, I assume BYU is going to roll them. I would be very surprised if that wasn't the case. That's the key uh, right there is that there's going to be four games in a four-hour span between 5 and 9 o'clock. And the games we're not going to watch are the games that get out of hand. Obviously, that would be the first one you expect to get out of hand. I do. But we're going to watch the most competition, and we're going to pass on the least competition when you get four games stacked on on top of each other. And Utah and Arizona now. Arizona has that self-imposed ban on the NCAA tournament, and then hopefully the NCAA uh, distributes and actually levies a lifetime ban on Arizona in the NCAA tournament. That's a Sun Devil speaking, people. I think that's worth it. I don't see how you can argue on that. And But for the Utes, I want to see, have you turned a corner? I don't want to hear it. I want to see it. And you had the nice win against Colorado. It was a great win, a great comeback. It was an exciting game. Watched all of it because it was on Saturday afternoon in the winter. I had nothing else to do. 
No football was on that day. And I watched the whole game, and it was fun to see them turn that looking like sure defeat into victory. And now you're telling me, all right, this is going to strengthen you and give you the confidence, and you have turned a corner. Now I want to see it. And certainly you're playing Arizona's, and there's no way I'm rooting for Arizona, that's for sure. So see that and get a victory. Stop this running in place. And obviously the Jazz, man, I was thinking about this. You know, we still have, what, 50 games to go, give or take? Yeah, 51. That's a lot of, yeah. that's a lot of games. Yeah, assuming, I don't know. Assuming they play them all, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's why I said the give or take, because, I, I mean, I could have done the math, but I don't know uh, what happens going forward because games have been postponed and how they're going to be able to make up. Who knows? But anyway, that's a large chunk of games, and already I am enthralled with the race in the Western Conference. It's like every game, even though we still have way more to go than they've played, and I feel like I'm just captured, and they've already got me. Every game matters. It's crazy to think of when you have 50 games. It's not like it's 10 or 15 games to go, and we're in the stretch run. We're not there yet. (laughs) But yet, I'm so into it to see, okay, man, they're half game up. Can they keep that lead? I mean, really, it doesn't matter, you know, a half game with 50 games to go. I'm pretty sure that's somewhat meaningless. But can you keep pace? And already, they've got me. Well, I think they got everybody, don't they? I mean, even the they people, should. even the people who are saying, "Ah, oh, they're not that good." I mean, they're still watching. <laughs> they're still following it. They, if you weren't, then the reaction wouldn't be, "Oh, they're not that good." The reaction would be, "What? Huh? What are you talking about?" Didn't they get off to a ten and eleven start again this year? Because that's been the history. I mean, Joe's talked oh, about well, that they, when he's been on with us. Is that they start slow in multiple seasons. And then over time, they kind of find themselves and they get it together and then they get rolling. Uh, last year, after 21 games, they were 12 and 9, right? At, at this point, they still hadn't traded for Clarkson 21 Clarkson games getting, in. Getting close. Right. They're getting close, but they weren't 21 games in. They weren't there yet. And Conley uh, wasn't playing well. And actually, I think it just, this is at the point where he got hurt, I think. I think it was, uh, I think he played about 20 games and then got hurt. So it was, a, it was a totally different vibe a year ago, whereas this year they're in a three-way battle for the best record in the, in the NBA. And then what does that mean when you translate it to the postseason? It means parade in a year where no parades are being had. <laughs> I saw you making fun of Larry the Laker on that. Yeah. You, you too. I got to keep you two apart, man. There's a good reason that you've never been in the same room. <laughs> uh, did you guys cancel the parade after the Denver loss? Like, Larry, there's no parades. Come on, man. <laughs> I know. But, uh, yeah, if you look at it, to me, this was the season to get off to a fast start. Uh, nobody had – well, they didn't have the full preseason. And you had a bunch of changes. Lakers, Clippers, changes. Nuggets, changes. Rockets changes. I mean, you can go right down the list, right? And Portland didn't have – they had Covington got uh, shipped over from Houston, so they had a little bit of change. But for whatever reason, Portland uh, seems to be, always be cursed by injuries and they could never have any sustained health. They're pretty good when they have sustained health, but they haven't been able to have that. And the Jazz made no changes. And there's no, none. No changes. Fa- favors. I don't count him as a change. Uh, a back into the lineup, but it was like he was just away. He, he, he He's like Durant. He missed a season with injury, no, although obviously he played with the, uh, the Pelicans, but 
it makes sense that this team would be able to hit the ground running because everything is uh, essentially the same. And they have obviously hit the ground running and have been soaring. And Conley just feels just super comfortable. And his play is just something that, okay, all right, took a little time, but we got there. We got to what we thought we were going to get from Mike Conley, and we're getting it consistently. No reason to think otherwise going forward here. So it sets up to where I don't know that they're going to finish with the best record in the West. I guess I'd probably get bet against it, but uh, there's no reason why they're not in a race the whole way. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, in the race the whole way, and what will it mean for the playoffs when they get you know head-to-head in a seven-game series, but we're getting way in front of ourselves. That's 50 games away, and uh, do you think there's going to be any big news here at the trade deadline? Or have, we, have we already had it? Harden moved, and that's the big, that's the big move. That's a huge move. You got, you got me there. Yeah. Yeah. I know with the Jazz, I think that's been their philosophy. Like, why wait to the trade deadline? You know, you get Clarkson in earlier. Yeah. So why wait the six weeks or whatever it was from the time he was traded to the trade deadline? So uh, you... Just trying to run through teams. I mean, everybody could use somebody. You know, it would be interesting to see. Well, we've seen some of this uh, going for, uh, in the past where you get to that point and player XYZ gets bought out and then he signs with another team. So maybe we see some of that, you know, and there's still some possibilities. Kevin Love has resumed some team activities. Does Cleveland really want him? Uh, is he a part of their future? They've got some young talent on that team. I sort of like what they've done a little bit with their drafting and, uh, and the trades that they've made. But is Kevin Love part of that future? Probably not. What can they get for him? So, yeah, my guess would be there's probably not going to be to the magnitude of a James Harden, but there's probably going to be some form of movement because it seems like there always is. All right. Uh, anything else we spoke about today that you would like to recap I guess we should mention Atlanta did play last night, if that matters to you. They're going back-to-back. They lost to Dallas. Dallas, who's really struggled to win. Maybe maybe Dallas bottomed out, getting humiliated by the Jazz twice right. in three nights. It's kind of like, yeah. okay, everybody take stock. Nobody feel good about themselves. That was horrible. Uh, Doncic went for 27 points and 14 assists, and the Mavs beat him 122-116. Well, you know what I like to do? You can't watch all the games, right? And... So I look at all the box scores. I'm monitoring the scores as they're being played. It's so easy to do that these days. When I, when I was at NAU, I think I told you this story. I had a roommate who was from Los Angeles, and he brought a couple of friends with him, and those two lived across the dorm. So I had three guys from the L.A. area, and two of them roomed together. One I roomed with. They just randomly put them put us with the guy because my roommate that had been playing he bailed so i put this guy uh, uh, randomly shows up hey i'm your roommate <laughs> you know you're you're 18 19 years old so you just roll with everything now you'd have a heart attack right but, hmm. but <laughs> and, and and all these years later that 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 guy has still remained my friend his name is wayne and so the guys, uh, those three were huge Laker fans, right? And so at night during the basketball season, at 10 minutes to the hour, KNX would have uh, uh, sports updates, right? Well, in Flagstaff, give us 22 minutes and we'll give you the world. Yeah, <laughs> remember that? I oh, had to yeah. live in Southern California. Sorry. <laughs> right, and 
at the certain time, KNX would have sports reports, and they would give updates of the Laker game. So the guy across the hall would put the, the radio right by the window so it was less scratchy to get the Laker update. You know, they were up by four in the third quarter. <laughs> I, can, I distinctly remember that we'd get, gather around the radio to see what the Laker update was going to be. <laughs> it seems like it was 5,000 years ago. And now, you know, you're looking at your phone and you can follow it. And then what I like to do is, so Dallas wins. And I, all right, I'm going to look at the box score. Well, I know Donchus is probably going to have a good game. Sure enough, Porzingis had a good game. And I like to do that. Uh, see which team wins, and I all right. Which non superstar had a big game to augment the superstar? Because that's probably why team fill in the blank won. And sure enough, last night with Dallas, Porzingis had a real nice game, and they won. And Doncic does what he does. That's what superstars do. All right, DJ and PK. That's what we've been talking about. When we come back, your feedback coming up. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Every life has its time on a trash heap. Discarded on a road that was too steep. But when rejection plus some hard work blends and mingles, it tells the story of the jazz macho Ingles. <laughs> Thank you, Kay. Time for your feedback. <laughs> Well, your radio story there in the last segment, getting the uh, the KNX updates every 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, Clint says, in the 90s, while camping in the Utah desert, we took turns holding a radio up in the air above our heads while standing on a rock to hear Hot Rod call a jazz playoff game. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's all sorts of stories like that. John Beck used to tell a story of, what, getting up on the roof to listen to BYU stuff at KSL when he was a kid. He lived over there in Mesa. In the East Valley and the Phoenix area, uh, he used to speak of that stuff too. So there's all sorts of stuff on that. What you used to do at night. Now, of course, you can just uh, call up your radio, get the score, or if you pay for it, get the out of town stuff and all that, whatever it might be. And the yeah. the techno- technological advances are just incredible. It makes you wonder what's going to be in another 20, 30 years. And how much they're going to charge us for it. <laughs> it's going to be available, that's for sure. Those were the dark ages, and we're not going back. No. I mean, look at this. The Utes, the Cougars, the Aggies, and the Jazz are all on TV. And they'll be, uh, you know, the Utes are on FS1, so it doesn't matter. A Ute, Ute alum, wherever they are, is going to be able to watch it. and It's just totally different. I walked into an apartment when I was in college, and I had a roommate from Tucson. His name was Paul Wyke, and he had pulled the couch away from the wall and he had a radio down in the very corner of the living room, and he was laying on his stomach with his ear pressed up against it trying to listen to an Arizona-Arizona State football game. Hopefully the Devils won that one. <laughs> I could go back and try to figure out the year, and you can figure that out. <laughs> he was listening to, uh, I, think, I think it's uh, the, the station that, uh, well, Ryan Hatch manages multiple stations now, but uh, KTAR, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's the station. Yeah. It's been and it was forever. And he so I'm listening to it for a few minutes. It didn't hold my attention because I wasn't you know I didn't have the emotional buy into the game. It was a lot of static and occasionally some words coming through. But Paul, well, was, yeah, I mean, Paul was all in. Yeah, he was just in Santa Barbara listening to an Arizona station. You you've been pissed ever since Mark Malone left the San Diego area and came over to the desert to play his college football. El Cajon High School. Great. <laughs> Met a guy yesterday from Granite Hills. That was awesome. 
That didn't mean anything to you people. Never mind. Did you know that Pat Tillman's wife went to Santa Barbara? No, I didn't. Oh, maybe oh, yeah. I did. You might have brought it up once in the past now that you mention it. Yeah. I told I, I wrote a book. She, she wrote a book and I read it and uh, she had a very, they were both from the San Jose area and she had an important function and she needed someone to accompany her. And I think the first time Pat did not go. And the second time she let him know that uh, she found someone to take her who was very charming and good looking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> she knew how to play the game. I think uh, his wife's name was Marie. If I Message received. Oh, yes. And so then she wrote how Pat made sure if there was any big function in which she needed uh, someone to be there with her that uh, as long as it wasn't in the football season and he was able to do it, he got his butt over to Santa Barbara from Tempe. And they eventually got married, and uh, uh, we know that story afterward. Right. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, Speaking of funny, uh, we've got this. John tweets at us, "Uh, those girls at PK dated really have deep voices. (laughs) Well... Seinfeld episode, deep talk. There's a lot of ways I could go in today's climate, which, you know, I don't think we should. But, oh, PK. Uh, <laughs> they weren't, wasn't the exact, those weren't the girls. I am just was translating the message when we would go out and I would take them out for an evening out the ta- on the town. At the end of the evening, they would respond with, Oh, PK. <laughs> I once again, prove that I have a very warped mind. There it is. <laughs> PK, take it off, baby. Oh, PK. Yes, <laughs> We've got to remember to play that for him next week because I'm oh, guessing will. he had no idea. None, was none. Good. He had no clue. But when I heard that, that is if it he just harkened me back. back. <laughs> well, right. He has to. Yes. He's, he's sponsored. He's required. <laughs> he is. You're right. That's a good point. It's Craig Bowler, Jack. He says, I don't want to do it. He doesn't do it. You, Chasta Trailer, just tweeted at us. I used to put my transistor radio under my pillow to listen to Vin Scully called Dodger Games on KFI. Got my butt whipped when I'd fall asleep and the battery would go dead overnight because nine volt batteries were 25 cents. Oh, you don't want to waste a quarter. Turn the thing off, man. <laughs> Yeah, Vince Scully talking about. Uh, I've read many stuff on that. When the that's how Vince Scully became a legend is those transistor radios, and when they would go back east, which they had a lot of trips because there wasn't any teams outside of the Giants in their region. All those games would be starting when people would be coming home from work, and they'd be listening to the games, and Vince Scully would be there broadcasting. And one of the ways he became the ultimate, as far as I'm concerned, broadcasting legend. Not just a Dodger legend, a broadcasting legend. The NFL, golf, the the he's called Masters. Mm-hmm. So he was on the uh, the legendary the catch when the Niners beat the Cowboys. He was he was calling that game on TV. Oh yeah, yeah well, and then uh, and and baseball beyond the Dodgers, little roller mm-hmm. gets through the legs. Yeah, all that did stuff. the World yeah. Series. Yeah, NBC. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hands to Scotty coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.